Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you'd like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. Oh, hello. How are you doing? Should we do the theme song? Let's see if the theme song's going to work. You haven't done that in a while, right? It's so annoying not to have the theme song play when it's supposed to, but my system has been wonky. Let's just give it a shot. Let's see what happens right about now. Jeff is going to talk about the misfits right now. He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow. Jeff never shuts his face, always needs to talk. My eyes show somewhere if he went out for a walk. Do you think that he cares? He doesn't care. He's out in Karanch. I love that. I love it. We're back, baby. We're back. We're on the main computer. We're not on the cell phone tonight. I don't want to jinx it. It's still a little early. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And Noodles has checked in. Noodles1980, as always, checks in to let us know that Bobby's an updating, an update about Bobby Steele's driving habits. Bobby Steele has finally lost his driver's license. The state took it away. We are all safe now. Uh, I hope that's not true. I hope Bobby can get wherever he needs to go to. I think he's he's a sailor now. He's always sailing on boats and whatnot. So, you know, good for Bobby. Good for Bobby. Either way, welcome to tonight's show. We have a very special guest. I'm very excited to chat with him because he just seems like a really nice guy who's going to share some really fun stuff with us. Before I dive in, I just want to let you know, if you are a Patreon or a YouTube casualty member on YouTube, you can now watch the November Coming Fire listening party. This is the final listening party in our Sam Haynes series. We've covered everything. So if you're a Patreon, go check it out. If you're a member on YouTube, you can check it out. And if you're not, if you don't belong to either, I mean, what are you waiting for? Go and Go and click on it and find out more information about how you, too, can be a Patreon listening to this stuff. For everybody else, it's going to drop on November 1st. Speaking of which, because of our guest tonight, 
Our guest is in a band that is going to be putting on a show in Lodi at a VFW. I mean, this is crazy. If you had told me that this this thing, which I, you know, I, I didn't invent any of this stuff. I just, you know, came up with this title, They Came From Lodi, but that it was going to be used as like a, a moniker for, you know, like a show in Lodi at a VFW. Like, I, I would say you're crazy, but it's, it's, it's happening, man. You got Robbie Bloodshed. Voice of Doom, and The Secret Subway, Tony Matura's Secret Subway, they are all going to be at, they're doing a show. You never know who's going to turn up. There might Who, who knows what's going to happen at this show? I don't. Uh, I can tell you I'm going to be at the show. I will be ma- wearing a mask for sure, but I will be at this show. Uh, I'm, in, I'm the host. I'm emceeing. You know what I'm saying? I am emceeing. What's up, crazy white boy? How you doing? We got Droid Little in the house. What's going on? And, of course, we got our friend Noodles, who's claiming that this is not true. This is just part of Noodles' shtick. That's what Noodles does. He, he He's obsessed with Bobby Steele's driving, and it, it is what it is. Hey, speaking of Steele and speaking of Voice of Doom, as I just mentioned, that is my my guest tonight is 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 there there is some still whoa i see something's going on backstage behind the curtain and i'm loving it i'm loving it it's great it's great rue morgue's in the house he says don't you know a rumble ain't a rumble without me promise yeah of course rue morgue is going to be there too i'm so excited we're gonna have so much fun it's going to be just i i think it's going to be an extension of the show really truly um and yes that's true thank you for reminding me chris chris is in the house chris welcome to the show as always Glad to have you in the comments. It's true. Captain Kirk has actually gone to space. You know, I'm not a fan of, you know, Jeff Bezos and his, you know, mega corporate, whatever, you know, bald headed POS. But you want to know something? I love the fact that he sent Captain Kirk to outer space. That makes me happy. That's what he should have done all along. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So Noodles is just, he's really serious about this. Dude, the guy almost drove me off the road multiple times. So that's it. Listen, without further ado, because I'm sure it's getting hot behind the the the, the mask that is being worn, I, I'd like to introduce another steel, uh, that, a steel by the name of John. Uh, John Steele from Voice of Doom is my guest tonight. Let's bring him on. Let's let's give him a nice, I don't know, we don't have, we don't call it a Lodi welcome, but what, whatever, uh, <laughs> from us welcome what's a from us welcome i don't have a welcome all right all right enough talk enough talk hey what's going whoa ah! Ah! oh my god you scared the crap out of me with that i was like i was like i was expecting to see john's face and i saw a pumpkin and i freaked out ah! what are you doing jeez how you doing john good 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 what's up welcome to the show thank you nice <laughs> well here. you know what i see guys you know what i see right off the bat Right behind John. I mean, this is this is beautiful. Look at these boxes, my I lord. I have a few. You have a few. I mean, yeah. what, what are these? Now, hold on a second. Are these all variants? Like, is this like year by year that I'm seeing? Uh, it's mostly like 70s and 80s. That's what I collect. Monster gotcha. boxes. I ha- I have I have a lot more, but I I only display the monsters. So I too collect cereal boxes. This is oh. my I I I do I collect certain, but not, you know there's no rhyme or reason to it. I like if I see art that really strikes me, mm-hmm. I just I have to own it. So what I do is, <laughs> I wonder if you do this too. I take the box 
and I take the cereal out. I eat the cereal, but I immediately fold up the box. Yeah, flat. I do that. Well, <laughs> my later, my later ones, I fold and put away. Right. As a matter of fact, I have a I have a whole st- a storage bin, like a storage uh, facility bin, just filled up with all the collectibles that I can't display at home. Um, but the older ones that I have here, they they're all empty, but they might have been flattened at one time. But I try to keep them, you know, regular so they don't lose their shape or anything. You know, I don't have to tape them back together. So you know and what some, I do? Some of them I have in which you might see. Some of them I have in some protective. Uh, plastic to keep them safe oh i can't i don't see protective plastic but they do they uh one thing that i do see i do see that they're 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 all lined flush i i have in in a part of my cave over here i what i do is i take my boxes and i eat the cereal but then i stuff the boxes with cardboard and paper so i have something inside i i have some packing peanuts or some uh, bubble wrap in some of them that's good packing peanuts that's a good one yeah yeah, it helps. It helps keeps the keep the shape. <laughs> um, That's some real nerd shit right off the bat, isn't it? It is. It is. And Rebel Punk Thirteen says, as a huge Misfits nerd, this channel rules. And that's <laughs> and and Chris is asking, did I get the Monster Mash cereal? I sure did. <laughs> yeah, you have to. It's it's really not. It's really kind of bad. I don't. It's I don't. It's like always it. all of it's bad. It's not good. It's cereal. not the way it used to be. It used to be a lot better. And I'm, I'm sure. sure. Cereal heads will tell you that, like, th- since they changed the recipe, none of it is the same. I still love Count Chocula. That's always my, been my favorite. But the recipe is not the same, but I have to buy it every year. And, you know, my wife it's likes it. My kids like it. You know, we have to every, – every Halloween, we all, we all eat a, a bowl of Booberry or Count or Frank – my wife prefers Frankenberry. But that's literally what happens. You eat a bowl of it, and you're like, you're like, okay, I ate the bowl, and I'm, I have all this extra cereal, and half the time, I don't even finish the cereal. The you want to hear some? You want to yeah, hear something ahead. funny? The go guy ahead. who um, owns our studio where we do a lot of our recording, uh-huh. Kevin Lacatina Homebrew Studio. There's a shameless plug. He he loves Monster cereal too, but what he first of all he doesn't use milk. He just eats it dry out of the box. That's cool. Right? I'm down with that. But what he like he's such a nerd with this kind of stuff and I love him for it is that he will take two boxes. Yeah. And he will pick the marshmallows out of one box and put them in the other so he gets double the amount of marshmallows when he reaches his hand in there. That is I, <laughs> That is so that's so wonderful. Like that you know they now sell, I mean they for years you can get this as a market for it too, but they sell, I mean, they sell just the marshmallows. You know, you can even order special order. I've never seen that. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know I've specifically with the monster cereals, but like you can just get Lucky Charms marshmallows now. Oh, like I didn't in, know that. Well, you used to be able to, you actually had guys going in, buying cereal, picking them out, and then you could buy the marshmallows in bulk on like eBay. Oh, wow. But now they've commercially, like Lucky Charms, General Mills, they actually package the, That's kind the of gross if you think about it. Some stranger sticking his hand in there and then selling it. I mean, like there's that? a market. Well, I'm sure maybe they're wearing rubber gloves. You know, yeah, there's a market. <laughs> John, John, there's a market for everything. Yeah, these I guess days. so. I guess so. If you want it, if you can think of it, they're gonna do it. Mm. And you know, that's the thing. I love them if they they can do it. Exactly. And I really love strange, weird food and junk food. That's another sort of obsession of mine. I don't collect the packaging, but it's like I have to try I have one. I have to try like one yeah. of everything, you know? Yeah. There's, there's so, you know, I, 
I have a lot of snack, which you, you'll see. I have a lot of uh, vintage snack cake boxes and, and just like regular snack stuff. Yeah. The the candy stuff, it's kind of hard to collect because, you know. You with, can't. It's just, you can't display them. You have to kind of put them in something. You know, there's so much. It's I, I actually know a guy from, from Queens. I haven't seen him in a long time, but he has uh, – uh, candy collector website and he's a he's really good at that stuff like all the way back to like the 60s and 70s with the packaging wow so yeah. how does he preserve yeah. that stuff um he probably puts it in like plastic bags or you know puts them in like a photo album type stuff to preserve them that way i haven't seen him in i haven't seen him in probably 15 years so i don't know how he's doing it these days but i would imagine that was his that was what he did you know what the problem is at the end of the day, and it's like something that you just spoke to, and, and this is the problem with collecting. You know, it, it's the same philosophy. All right, all right, stay with me here for a minute. Bear with me with what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. It's the same philosophy as when you order uh, a consumer good. Like, let's say you order something off of Amazon, a, a whatever, a humdinger, a remote, something, just anything, a pair of headphones. The product is as only as good as its weakest part. The, if the weakest part is really bad and it breaks, the whole sort of thing loses yeah. its functionality. Mm-hmm. And that's the analogy that I then want to plug into. Collections are only as good as the space that you have to house them in, in a mm. weird kind of way. Like if you don't have a space mm-hmm. – then you just have your stuff sitting in boxes and like the ultimate tragedy for any collector is, you know, part of the collection is being able to look at it. It's like, maybe like, it's like this, maybe it's the way our brains are wired, like a little mm-hmm. OCD. Like I love seeing everything and the mm-hmm. variance of color and everything's like aligned <laughs> here and there, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you're only as your collection is is directly predicated or related to the space that you have to display it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's in storage, mm-hmm. right? Well, I know, I know people. I know people that are like that too. Like they they immediately get something, they flatten it, they wrap it, they put it away, and they basically kind of forget about it. But in their mind, they know they have it if they ever want to go to it. Like they they want to have it, but they don't want to see it. Some people are like that too, right? Know? It's weird. Like right. some people out of like, sight, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. And in the back of their minds, they know they have it. And if they ever want to go to it and some people have so much stuff that they just, they love to, to dig for it. Like, don't you have so-and-so? Yeah. I think I got that somewhere. Right. But I'd, I'd have to, I really, I, I got to look, I don't know where it is. And you then know, they get to are, remember, they get to re- look through and remember what they have. And yeah, yada, yeah. Yada, yada. Something they may have forgotten. And then you Good know, point. the, the, the fun is in the hunt sometimes, you know? I, I, I can, I can, I can get down with that. Um, why don't you show it? Let's take us on a little tour. Let's see what you got going on here in, uh, in this man well, cave. All right. Whatever, whatever you, whatever you can divulge. Let's, Let's see. Cause it looks like you got some... hard. It's kind of hard to see what I'm looking at here behind me, but this Fair is, enough. this is the, this is a lot of the count Frank and Booberry. Yeah. And I see the variance in packaging. You really, yeah, man, well, it's, you, it's, you collect. It, start, it starts off with the original ones from the early 70s, what they call the holding the holding spoon. Yeah. With the big face, big face they call oh it. Oh, my God. You really know your shit. Wow. And then there was a small uh, series like this, which is which this one is in a plastic. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, there I was can a small, hear it. There's a small series called Holding Spoon where 
you see the big cereal, you see his body, but yeah. he's, holding, he's holding the spoon. They only did that for a couple of, uh, wow. a short period of time. <laughs> and then it goes to the traditional pouring milk. That's what they call it. Oh my God. You know, so there's actually three variants. And it, it goes the same with, I don't think I have a Frank, I have a blueberry. I don't know if you can see, am I pointing to it? I got the phone in front of me. I, I, no, well, yeah, I see blueberry, but it's like kind of out of, How's yeah, that? I, I can see, no, I can see it. We can yeah, see he's part holding, of it. This is, yeah. Part of it. I can't see what he's holding, but I can see just the yeah. very part. Oh, now I can see it. Very yeah. good. Yeah. They call that, that's, that's holding spoon. So those are really rare. The holding really? spoon. Yeah. The holding spoon, what they call it, those, that series is very rare. Now, I remember back in 2014, I bought 10 boxes with the new when that's when they re they reintroduced Yummy Mummy and Fruit Brute. Yeah. They had the updated cartoon versions that are yeah. super lame and then they had the retro ones and I bought yeah. one of each. Oh yeah, I have them all. Uh, they're it, just they're great. It continues over here. Oh my lord. Very <laughs> Fruit Brute. Yep, Yummy Mummy. And Yummy Mummy. Oh, and it's that's, great. That's the pack that's like the snack cake packaging and stuff I was wow. telling you about. You know what else is great too? The um, of various stuff Halloween Crunch, Captain Crunch's Halloween Crunch. Oh yeah, I just really great. I just finished it off. I just finished oh, a, a and that's mash. a good cereal and there's too. My, there's my Monster Mash. Yeah, you got the Monster Mash. I'm gonna. Oh, I decided. You know, I I don't know, John. It might you might actually really enjoy this on my channel. Shameless plug on my own channel. How about that? Mm -hmm. On my channel, I used to, I I, re I review cereal. I, I have a thing called Cereal yeah, Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen some of them. Oh, okay. So yeah. So for anybody who's into cereal, like reviews and cereal, I, I, I do a whole cereal review series. I'm doing one on Monster Mash because I, I had to buy There's the a box. Good one. So. There's a good one called Cereal Time. It's a guy named Gabe Fonseca from Los Angeles. Cool. I've I'll done check some, it out. I've done some trading with him. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good with that kind of stuff too. Just real quick before we go back to talk and there's – Yeah, please. Do you see all? Oh that? yeah! Oh yeah! Now I see it. Look at that! Look at that Misfits collection. Look at that! All originals. I I assume. Uh, no comment. No comment. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Some of them. Some of them. Yes. Some of them. No. You know what? I don't have originals. I my then, my my collection is uh, some of its bootlegs. Look at that voice of doom in the chiller. You did the chiller backdrop. That's the chiller awesome. Hand. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna hang that outside the VFW that night. That's gonna be. Oh, that's great. You know. That is great oh, with the yeah. six fingers, Jiller. Look at that. Three hits. EF board. I see uh that's a really nice room. And you know, let me ask you this, John. One last what thing. Are... Oh yeah, show us. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Cough cool yeah. promo. That okay. So that promo, the 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 pro whatever, the master for that promo, that is where the Misfits logo comes from. It was yeah. written. That was the first time he wrote it like that, and then right. transponded it on everything. Mm -hmm. So it comes from that that cough cool. Can you see is, me? Okay. Yeah, you look good. All right, cool. cool. You're good. Uh, it's nice to have the boxes in the background. Yeah. Um, what is it to have all to to sit in a? What is it about us that like to just sit in a basement surrounded by all the things that make us happy? You know, you know? it's for you know for people like us that are into this kind of stuff. It's like I know some guys that have all like New York Giants or New York Yankees memorabilia in their man cave. But for like musicians or people involved in this kind of stuff, this, mm -hmm. this is our, this is, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's nice to have, 
it's nice to have a room where it's just all your stuff and you can just, you know, like right now I got, I got Halloween two on. Yeah. Sam Hain. Do you agree? Do you, I know we're about to jump really out of order here. Do you agree with that being the impetus, the, the inspiration for, uh, uh, I don't think so. I mean, from the movie, I, I doubt if it was from the movie. I think that's what his obsession with the, with the notion been. became be, yeah, began. I mean, it could have been. It could have been. I mean, I yeah. saw the movie, you know, long before the band. So if that's where he got it from, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, doesn't you know, doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. It's awesome. I think it's great too. I just always, you know, what it is. It came out in '81, and it just seems like you know, cro- like in like kind of like the timeline, you know, of things. It kind of like. It's like the the word Sam Hain. That's like the first time that you see it in any kind of mainstream yeah. way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. If you want to know what Sam Hain is before 1981, you probably need to be watching super obscure, like yeah. horror movies, if that, mm-hmm. or you need to be in a library reading about that yeah. stuff, which is yeah. very possible that Glenn was reading in a library. But I think that he was reviewing movies for Flipside magazine or he was just going to every horror movie and saw Sam Hain uh, written in blood and was like that's cool and then <laughs> a good name for a band. Yeah, I'm going to store that yeah. away in the memory bank somewhere and use it someday maybe who <laughs> who knows who knows nobody knows but I think somebody theory. asked him that one time in an interview I think I remember seeing reading that or maybe I don't I don't remember, and I don't really remember what his response. I think he just kind of explained what the whole. Festival he wouldn't admit was. it. He, he wouldn't admit it. He wouldn't admit it. Even you know, if it was for, for some. I mean, we all, you know, we all borrow from somewhere. So of course, you know, he's he's he borrowed he borrowed a lot and could have borrowed that too. Dude, I, mean, I took I took Voice of Doom, the name Voice of Doom. Believe yeah. it or not, from I mean, some people have have asked me like, oh, is it like Hand of Doom, like Black Sabbath? And I'm like, no, if I told you where it came from, you probably wouldn't believe it. I don't know if you're a big Honeymooners fan at all. I mean, I know who they are, but... Okay, well, there was there was an episode... If you're not familiar with the Honeymooners, you know, Ralph Cramden, Ed Norton, and the wives. One time, Norton's wife was shouting for him, and, and he turns around and he says, Oh, there she is, the voice of doom. <laughs> That's great. So I kept that I kept that up here, you know, to use and... and, and that's it. You know what's interesting, actually? It's kind of like what he does with stuff and music is kind of like what Quentin Tarantino does with movies. Like, it's the same sort of thing. It's like he takes things that he, he takes all the stuff that he thinks is really cool and kind of remixes it mm. and sort of puts it through his own prism, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to say that he's not, you know, look, we, we endlessly talk about how a band like Sam Hain is steeped in originality, which is true, especially sonically. Mm-hmm. But I just mean in the sense that, like, we, you know, all of us nerds, like, snooping around, being like, oh, this this hand is from this comic book, and this, mm-hmm. th-, you know, like, just mm-hmm. that he, you know, takes from takes from stuff. That's my brother calling. We'll just put my phone on silent. You know, it's interesting you said, you said about sonically, like, you know, I was very surprised to um, hear the like Initium and Unholy and, and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, when I saw them live for the first time, I, I saw them three times. When I saw them live for the Amazing. first time, the difference was it was like night and day. And 
I know at the time Glenn was was listening to like a lot of like stuff like Alien Sex Fiend. Yeah. You know, in the in the early to mid eighties. And that stuff was kind of I don't know if he was kind of going for a sound like that, but um, the studio that they recorded at, Real Platinum, I actually recorded there once with a, uh, a friend of mine that asked me to play drums with him. And I, I don't know how much you've ever delved into, you know, Bob, Bob Aleka. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his studio was very, he was not, he was a nice guy. And I only met him one time, but he was really not used to recording rock music he did a lot of like dance type stuff and he was one of those guys from what i remember and i was like 17 at the time i remember he was he wanted he wanted to be one of those guys that put his own personal sound to things you know like you listen you listen you listen to initium you hear the tom toms and they the drums sound electric now maybe glenn wanted it that way to go for a certain sound but I think the stuff that was coming out of that studio, what Bob was hearing and the way he was recording it and, and processing it had a lot to do with that. But when I saw them live, you know, with Marshall amplifiers and stuff, it was just, it was very powerful. It was a big difference from the records. The songs even, you know, the, the delivery of the songs, like the guitars were always kind of buried, even on a lot of the misfits, you know, like, like, a lot of it's buried. A lot of it's buried. To finally hear it loud, you know, coming through a stack was like, yeah. wow, this sounds so much better than the record. You know, it's a that shame. That's a big thing for me. It's a shame that we've never gotten proper remixes of any of that stuff because I, this is my personal taste. I think I, I'm not a fan of, of any Glenn, the mix of anything Glenn Danzig related. I always feel like it's never mixed in a way that could or it could always be mixed better maybe that's mm. a better way to put it i just think you know and again you know when you look at like misfit stuff all of it is a bedrock it's just bedrock for the voice right yeah so what does it matter if it's all down you know muddled in a mix like yeah. it's just you know in his and probably in his mind you know i don't know because i'm not going danzig but maybe in his mind it's just like yeah the the it's the voice and then the music is under the voice and yeah. whatever you that know it could be i mean also it could be the recording equipment, you know, I, I know that they were always pressed for time, had to come in under True. budget. Some people, True. some people like myself over the years would say, okay, I'm going to spend a day recording the drums and seeing how they sound, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try a mic here on the Marshall. And then right. you know what, I'm going to move the amp to another part of the room and I'm going to see how it sounds there. Like, if you're just going to go in, bing, bang, boom, I got to knock out five songs, which I've also done. Sometimes what you come out with is, is that's it. And, and, you know, here it is, which isn't yeah. necessarily a bad thing either, because, you know, it, it's not, you don't toil over it for days and, you know, you lose the inspiration and, you know, it's like the excitement, the intensity, the immediacy of it sometimes could get lost if you, if you, you know, go over it too much. Two you know, things. That, that also could be. Two things. One, you know, I'm not a musician. I always make this disclaimer. So I honestly don't know that process. And mm -hmm. that makes so much sense to me, what you're saying. Like, that makes sense. Like, you go in, you know, it's like you, you all the, all of these things that sort of, all of these variables that maybe one doesn't think about, like when you're, you're, you're on a budget and you're trying to, uh, nail, nail out your songs, you don't really have time, to, as you said, you don't have time to check, check these things out. 
And the second thing I was going to say, oh, shit, I already forgot it. It <laughs> literally went out my other ear because I was trying to hold it in my head. That's what I get for not listening. <laughs> <laughs> but you know um, what? Yeah. But seriously, though, like one thing that like talk about the static age record, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, we've all heard the stories about how they had X amount of time to go in and right. record that. Even though the record to me sonically sounds very flat and one dimensional, I think the recording of it is probably besides Earth AD, which is totally overblown, the static age recording is my favorite because it just sounds it sounds it the just, best. It sounds very real to me. You know, like Mr. you know, Mr. Jim's drums. That's the way the drums probably sounded in the studio. Not mm. they didn't throw a bunch of shit on it. They didn't try to make it sound big. You know, the studio was probably pretty good, you know, but hey, you know, we only we're here from midnight to 7 a.m. or whatever, a couple of days or whatever it was. And this is it. They didn't spend a lot of time trying to build stuff up or, you know, and I, I think Glenn played guitar on some of that, some of that stuff because um, Frenchie didn't didn't know all the songs. Huh. It's just, it's just the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah. To me, it just, uh, well, that was, I think that was on the Misfits Central website when it kind of broke down the sessions. Like that, huh. that Frenchie was kind of new in the band and he didn't know all the songs yet. So Glenn had laid another guitar track down. And if you listen to the outtakes at the end of the Static Age CD, you can hear like two guitars going. You know? Oh. Did you ever listen? You, you've listened yeah. To no, those? I totally have, but I've never, yeah. like, I've never Glenn, like you, hear, that. you hear Glenn whisper into the mic like, you know, I'm going to try sitting down on this one because I'm not doing well standing up and you hear like a, a guitar noise. But I always thought that was his singing. He sang all of Static Age sitting down in a chair. It's my oh, understanding. I didn't know. I didn't, that, that I didn't know. But you could you – could, you know, in some of the outtakes, you hear one guitar stop and the other one keeps going. So yeah. I was like, what, were they doing it live? Was Glenn playing along with it? Interesting. You know, I always wondered that. It's never been confirmed, but that's no, – Right. That's what I've heard. Right. What I've read. Um, I'm trying to remember what the, the second thing that I was going to say. You were talking about <laughs> – talking about mixing you're talking about um all the constraints of of going in there and recording and maybe there's something about babaleka's studio and the way that he recorded it was in a babaleka studio was in a basement and if i i don't remember if it was tape or if it was if it was the beginning of digital recording yeah but i do remember going in there and he had a little drum set kind of set up in the corner and he had a little control room uh, and like the drum sounded okay. But then when I, my friend played me back with a record, I'm like, this doesn't sound like, and then I'm just thinking to myself, well, that was the first time I was ever in a studio. So I'm like, all right, maybe that's just the way it, it comes out. Like I didn't know any better, you know, or maybe right. that's just the way Bob wanted it to sound. And that's the way, you know, it, it came out. Cause a lot of engineers that I've noticed that working, worked with over the years, a lot of engineers feel like they're they want their studio to have a signature sound based on the equipment right. they have and and you know for popularity of themselves you know oh Bob Aleka recorded this it sounds great like sound studios like the mixing desk at sound studios yeah yeah interesting i mean even even stuff like um like when we go to Kevin's and record like Kevin has Everything VOD was recorded at, at Homebrew Studios. And, you know, the first time 
many years ago that I had gone in there with, with another band, you know, you're kind of feeling your way through and how does he work? And, you know, is it, is, is he, is he open to our ideas? Does he want to, is it my way or the highway? Uh, you know, but as you go over time, you know, you know, you can do it in your sleep. Like, okay, he's going to use a 57 or a 421 on the, on the amp. The drums are going to be here, this and that. And, and then after a while, it's like, it's a no brainer. You know, it's just plug and play and it's going to sound great because you've done it so many times with the same person. Right. He knows your sound rather right. than, than him trying to make you sound the way he wants you to. You know, that's the difference between some engineers. Some engineers, I want it to sound my way and some engineers are like, you do it and I'll capture it. You know? All right. So now take me back. Let's, let's go, let, let's start when, you know, you're in high school or whatever. How do you get exposed to all this music are where what are are you seeing like signs of it around as well, you go ahead yeah take me okay. through it well when i was a freshman in high school uh i joined my first i'm sorry sophomore in high school i joined my first real band okay and i was 15 14 or 15 uh-huh. and i went to a technical county high school so i know Hyman had mentioned this to you his friend dave Dave LaBelle played drums in a band called Distorted Youth, and some of those guys went to my high school. So in the early 80s, there was kids from Garfield, Lodi, Hasbrook Heights, Elmwood Park, you know, and you'd see you'd see misfit shirts. These kids, these kids wearing misfit shirts, like the original misfit shirts yeah. that, you know, you could never find today. And if they were, they'd be, you know, I was like, oh, you know, you're seeing all this imagery like Night of the Living Dead. And, and it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, like I, I hadn't heard of that. I haven't heard of them before. This is the first time I'm seeing it. And, uh, sand in the face was from Hasbrook Heights, distorted youth morning noise was also from Lodi, which came from, you know, hearing about the misfits, right? There's, you know, Oh, my friends, my friend plays in morning noise. And then his friend plays in Rosemary's babies. You know, these are all older guys, but they're all guys that I'm coming in contact with. And I remember saying, asking Frankie, Frankie Fender, who's almost 10 years older than me, who was the guitar player in my first band and is still the other guitar player in Voice of Doom. I asked him, I said, I said, have you ever heard of the Misfits? And he says, yeah, I saw them. He's like, I'm like, oh, he's, you know, he's, which actually he saw them. I think he saw them at Hitsville with nice. Flag, like on, on that Christmas. He saw the, the 81. Original, he saw the original Undead. He saw um, Flag. You know, a bunch of times, the cramps back in the day. And we would go to, he would take me to Bleecker Bob's. Yeah. On, uh, on Bleecker Street in, in New York. And the first Misfits record that I saw was Earth AD. And it, I, they had broken up by then, obviously, when Earth AD. This was, I guess this was 83 at this point. This or? would be, this would have to have been, and again, you're t- talking Late to a guy. Who was not even alive, <laughs> but uh, to date myself, this would have to have been December of 1983, probably something like that, or early '84. Okay, know. okay. Excuse me. So, so that was the first one I saw, and I loved the artwork, and it was it scared me looking at it. You know, right? I was like, wow, okay, Misfits. I'm gonna buy it. Took it home, listened to it, and it was the as soon as Earth AD started, I was like, wow, this is this is scary. 
Like, I, you know, I hadn't been, I hadn't heard a scary sounding record since the, when I was a kid and I heard the first Black Sabbath album. Wait, so that's you know, your first, like your first song, your first Misfit song. Sorry to cut you off. Your Earth first AD. Misfit song is literally Earth AD. Earth AD. First Misfit <laughs> song I had ever heard. I love it. Okay. So now that, and I love the record and I know Heim right. and you have talked about this and, you know, that, that and Static Age are my two favorite Misfits albums and they couldn't be more different. So, so I worked backwards with the Misfits. You know, I heard heard Earth AD first and then Walk Among Us and, you know, the singles and stuff. And there was a lot of tape trading in high school with these kids. You know, that's I heard Morning Noise for the first time, which I, I want to talk about. When Morning Noise played on WFMU in 1982 on my birthday with AOD, who was from, you know, a lot of oh, guys. I know, were, AO, I know AOD. Right. So, so that yeah. was – that was my early uh, exposure to that kind of stuff. And then I heard about Rosemary's Babies, which was Erie's first band. And, and that was my, that's how I kind of got exposed to, to that. All because I went to high school with these kids that were from Lodi and Garfield and, and right. stuff like that. And they had friends who, who were in these bands, their older brother's friends, or they were friends with them because they were all older than us. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You went to the same school that Glenn Danzig went to at yeah, one Bergen point Tech. in time. Yeah. Right? He gradu- I think he graduated in 71, I guess. Something like that. I didn't know at the time. I, I didn't find that out until, you know, many, many years later. Right. But Yeah, but I don't think he went to – he didn't go to Lodi High School. My sister actually went to Lodi High School. I lived in Lodi as a kid. Gotcha. My sister, my sister was a year or so – she kind of knew some of the some of the older siblings of 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 them or friends or aunts or cousins. You know, my sister's quite you know a little bit older than me, so she you know she kind of knew some of the family names like the Kayafas and the right. Alones and stuff like that. But she never knew any of them personally. So the, but it's you know it's funny, m- much like much like Liverpool, even today, you go to Liverpool, and. You know, you talk to anybody on the street and they'll be like, oh, yeah, my cousin's uncle's daughter is uh, once, you know, rode a bus with Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know, like everybody is connected to the Six Beatles. Degrees even separation of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Right. Even <laughs> even decades afterwards, you'll, you'll, the, the lore of Liverpool is, yeah. you know, my uncle, my my best friend's cousin. Yeah. And it's the same thing kind of with Lodi, like in yeah. the sense of like there's always some like, you know, six degrees. Yeah connection which is fun you know even a place and and it's funny because once i started hearing about that kind of stuff it clicked with me because when i was younger my father would take me to cardi's sugar bowl great place i'm I'm sure you have you ever been benson oh yeah i i've interviewed i've interviewed benson he was a young man then he went to high school with jerry's dad okay okay so you know and there was there was misfits posters there from back then three hits from hell on the you know, ceiling still on the ceiling yeah still and there think, to this I day think, i think the ritz poster is still there my yes yes the four horsemen from yeah, captain yeah. clegg and then i was like wow, all right you know now it now i remember i remember where i saw all this i saw them at cardi sugar bowl as right. a kid you know and then i put two and two together and i'm like oh okay now it now it makes sense i went to i every once in a while i'll go to cardi's and uh oh, I've, such a great place i've asked them so many times like 
how many people have offered to buy these posters off? I asked him the same question and too. He, and, He's yeah, so tired of that. He'll never Benson. sell them. He'll just no, never, he never sell would. them. He's I got would that love... John Lennon, that John Lennon posters up there too. Yeah. When John Lennon died, wouldn't you know? it be great? And, and I, I said to my wife this one day, you know, because we we talked because my wife is from Garfield originally, so I did yeah. say like, I'm like, how do you think he makes a living selling candy? You know. And and then he the, owns the property. He owns probably, the building, right? And, you know, it's like he probably has renters and tenants and stuff, he, and it pays for the electricity. I'm like, how great would it be to one day just buy that building and just leave yes. it the way it is and make it like a monument to Lodi? Not just a <laughs> monument, but how about this? Imagine, all right, this is really this is really good, getting nut, nuts here. Okay, just just run with me for this. Uh, Imagine turning Cardi Sugar Bowl into a venue. Not that the town of Lodi would ever allow it, but like, and not to gut Cardi's itself, but like I don't know, maybe somewhere else in the building that you know on an upper floor or something <laughs> that you could have like a small venue, like a you know, and yeah, that yeah, yeah. Cardi. Yeah. That's the name of the venue. The Cardi's. venue is like the Mabuhay Gardens, the Cardi yeah. Sugar Bowl. You know but what I mean? You just, just imagine how. <laughs> just imagine if there was a, a live band playing up there. That ceiling would probably crumble. Oh, it would. Yeah, it would just the, the, the sound. Them. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's just, <laughs> it's just you know, it, it, it's just like. Uh, like I said, you, you had to just roll with me on that one. Because... Yeah, that's cool. No, that's, that's I never thought of that. That's actually I look at it like, oh, that would be great to like own the building and just collect rent from everybody. Which, which, yeah, I th I think I remember reading somewhere in an interview with him that everything is like earmarked for his daughter or his good, his, you know, something like that. Like as one it day, should be. One day as all this be. will be yours. Type right. Thing, you know, that's cool. You know, it's funny. I when I interviewed him. uh, I asked him, I was like, can you tell me about the day that JFK died, what that was like? And because I had at the time I had plans to like, like this, this interesting juxtaposition idea, but just this idea, this notion of like, you know, um, what this sort of single or what, you know, the idea of, of making a, a song like Bullet. Mm -hmm about a day that is essentially like the 9-11 of the 60s, mm. or at least one of them, right? You know? Mm. Um, and that was very interesting to hear him talk about it like that. You know, talk talk about uh, the day that JFK was shot. Are you a JFK assassination? Not at, no, not at all. Just oh, in relation I to... I thought we were going to have something else to click on, because I'm huge <laughs> into the JFK assassination the whole I, time. I will tell time. you this. I, I don't want to... I don't, I'll, I'll, I don't want to tangent on this, but I will say one thing. Do you... The, I, I was watching The Irishman. Martin Scorsese's The mm -hmm. Irishman. And I just, very matter-of-factly, you know, in The Irishman, they're like, you know, they basically... It's, the, it's insinuated that the mob is responsible for JFK, you know, dying. That's one, that's, one, that's one theory. But I think it's, you know, you're familiar with the term Occam's razor, right? Occam's razor, yeah. Occam's razor. Thank you. Sorry. I've been mispronouncing it all these years. Occam's it, razor, I guess right? it could be. that there's, there's probably no right or wrong, but okay. Oh, Occam's razor, Occam's razor, tomato, tomato. I think the most, the most realistic explanation is, you know, the mob helped – JFK get into office, however oh, that fact. was, that's right? A that's a fact. Okay. Yeah. So, so the mob wanted to be left alone, and now, now JFK's brother is the attorney general, and he's mm -hmm. sticking his nose in in the mob's business, and the mm -hmm. mob doesn't like it. And mm -hmm. you know, the mob at that time, 
is not the mob that it is today. It's a was way more powerful. There is no mob. It's all made up. So fine. I'm There's no <laughs> whatever. I I don't know anything about the mob. My point is though, it's it's way more powerful and big and you know rico hasn't happened yet well yeah and and not to mention that they were in cahoots with the cia to try to get castro out of cuba so they could get all their casinos back there was so much going on you know when you start researching this type of stuff it's a yeah. it's a rabbit hole that once you go down I'm sure it's very hard to get out i and, just and you know it's it is a lot of it is true and it's very interesting if i you're into that kind of stuff i, I just personally think I just personally think that, like, I don't know why it's such a conspiracy theory. I think it's just a very matter-of-fact cause and effect. He fucked with the mob, and the mob, the mob was like, you know, what's the one thing? What you know, I, I, you want to, you want to like solve any problem in the world? Keep keep the mob from being able to make its money. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They'll figure out a way to. They'll figure out a way to to get anything done if but it's getting in the way of their profits. And- you know, let's put it this way: <laughs> once you once you start, once you know the facts of certain things, yeah. Um, he had a lot of enemies, and it could have been. It could have been any of them. It could have been, you know, the big. Oh no! I don't know what just happened to John. He just dropped out. Robbie, same thing. Bobby Kennedy assassination, the Booby Kennedy assassination, same thing, dude. He was the AG. Here we go. He's coming back now. There that was what? so weird. You just dropped I thought out. Maybe, thought maybe the mob cut me off. The mob, they knew what <laughs> they knew what was going on. Maybe I'm next. <laughs> they knew what was going on. I can't keep up with these comments. We got so many people in the chat. This is very man, do uh they, really you know, cooking like, here, guys. When you when you start to when you start to read and, and watch and listen and learn about um the military industrial complex. Kennedy wanted to pull all the troops out of Vietnam. He didn't right. want to go to war in Southeast Asia. But as anybody'll tell you, you know, once you start reading about this stuff, you know, what's the biggest money maker in the world is the war. You know, no war, no money. Not just not just quoting right. JFK, but it's but it's very true. You know, and and he pissed a lot of people off. He was the first Catholic president. He was the only president at the time that wasn't born that in the 19th century. You know, he was a 20th century president, which you know before that with with Eisenhower and you know they were all old guys. He was he was a progressive young Catholic from the north. And I just he all I'm saying a lot is of people off. Yeah, he pissed, exactly my point, and we can leave it there because otherwise we'll just go down this rabbit hole. Oh, my point just simply is, forget it. I'm sure you could. My point simply is that I don't see what the big deal is. I think, I think the, I I was, you know, a lot of people weren't fans of the Irishman, but you know, I think what something that they really nailed on the head is just like, Mm. yeah, he's, he's fucking with their money. Of course he's going to get wet. He got waxed. I mean, like, it's just like, yeah, like you don't mess with the mob, dude. Like (laughs) it's just even a president, like, you know, it's just, that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but to go back, okay, so we're talking about Cardi Sugar, but we're talking about, oh, we're talking about listening to Earth AD for the first yeah. time. And and if you can remember, and this was a while ago, sure. but if you can remember, because these are the types of moments where like they, they create deep grooves in our brain matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like we just remember them. What what is your feeling? What is what is your sort of like you've you've seen the images and now you're hearing what those images are supposed to sound like? What's going on for you? Um, that's that's a good question. At the time, I was listening to a lot of hardcore, 
because mm-hmm. it was real. It was right in the you know in the thick of the hardcore. I was going to I went to CBGB's hardcore matinee. Right. So I liked I liked fast music. Um. So I was like, oh, it's a it's a scary hardcore. It's a scary sounding hardcore band. And the song the song lyrics were like, the not well you, you couldn't understand the lyrics and there was no <laughs> lyric sheet, but the titles you know Blood Feast Hellhound. That was right in my wheelhouse, being such a horror fan, you know. And like I said, when I first saw it, I remember, I'll never forget the kid's name. His name was Charlie Steinberg, and he was from Hasbro Heights. And wow. he wore a white Night of the Living Dead shirt. Wow. And when I saw that, I was like, like the movie, like the movie, The Misfits. Like I, I, I was like, okay, this is. I have one of those. An original one? Yes. Hand colored by Glenn Danzig. Wow. You didn't go to high school with me, did you? I didn't. I didn't. I got, I'll tell you sometime about how I got it for free. Crazy story, but interesting. Neither here nor there. Well, keep going, keep going. Well, yeah. When I first saw that, I was like, wow, okay, this is tying in two things together that are important to me. Like at the time, very fast music, although I liked all kinds of music, but at the time I was really into hardcore and the horror stuff. So I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, this is, this is great. You know, and just, and just, I really, like aesthetically it it was even though the cover was very you know um i eventually i i met mad mark rudin you know at one point and you and, met him yeah oh California. my god what was that like um just met him for a second wow when, when scott wilkins was singing for electric frankenstein in the 90s he was at one of our shows and i just wow. i just got to meet him for for a brief moment um and even though the cover was, the covers were confusing. Like there's a lot going on here, a lot to take in. Like, you know, but it, it, the, I know people love the covers and the artwork and I do too. You know, I, I, I love it. And it was scary as fuck to me as a kid, but the lettering of the song titles Mm. on the back in the corner was so simplistic to me that I just, I loved it. Like I was very, I loved looking at it, the way it was laid out, just the block, the, the, the capital letters, the block lettering in white, and then, you know, Glenn Danzig vocals, Jerry only bass, Doyle right. guitar, Robo drums, engineered by Spot. Like, I was like, wow, that's straight to the point. You know, no special thanks to blah, 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 and recorded at blah, blah, blah. Like, I had seen so much of that. I was like, wow, this is like, it, it. It gave me all the information that I needed to know in a quick second, and I was I was great with it. Like I just I loved the way it was laid out. Just Hellhound, Blood Feast, Devil Lock, Queen Wasp. You know you know what I mean? Like it it just was very immediate to me, and it and it just artistically it just kind of spoke to me. I don't think I've ever met anybody else that appreciated that part of it, and I don't know if you have, but I'm not an artist. I have great admiration for artists like. You know, Haim is a brilliant artist, and so was, you know, Erie and Glenn. He's also really good at Photoshop and layout. I mean, yeah. the dude is a genius. We'll get we'll get to him, but just yeah. to finish real quick <laughs> on the AD. And, you know, just like the, the label on the record, you know, when you looked at the record and it was like the same artwork from the cover on the label and that right. same lettering, like, I just really liked it. I liked the aesthetic quality of it, and it was – it was – I had never heard a record that sounded like that before. You know, it sounded, it just sounded scary. Like it just, it, it, it frightened me, you know, and we're all attracted to things that, that 
that frighten us. You know, that's, you know, and, and that's what kind of drew me in. And then I started seeing some of the other ones, some of the other singles and stuff. And, you know, as crudely as they may have looked, they just had something to them that was very appealing to me, you know? Right. So that was my, and then after I had gotten, later I'd gotten the German pressing, which had, um, Die Die My Darling and, and We Bite and, and Mommy, you know, so I had to have both of them, which I got them. Of course. And then I got, you know, then later on I got the 12-inch, the Die Die 12-inch and stuff. I tried to collect as much as I could. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was, Earth AD was my first. And I, I thought, always thought it was kind of cool because it was Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood. Like it was two. It's a was double it, EP. Well, yeah, it's a double EP. And nobody ever refers to it as, nobody ever says, Misfits they think of Wolf's it as an album. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an album. But then once I forget who pointed it out to me. I kind of blows your mind. Who, but I was like, you know, I never looked at it like that before. Yeah. Like, you know, it was a double EP. But yet we one, never one EP to it is that. Wolf's Blood and one Earthly EP is Earth AD. Right. And... But we never we never think and I never saw them separate. I never saw right. just Wolf's Blood by itself or just Earth AD by itself. <clears throat> so I never related that until somebody pointed it out to me. Right. And you know, nerd kind of shit. The more you, you, you know, you, you investigate and you look and you ask and you talk and you think and you, you know, you bring up your own conspiracy theories sometimes. <laughs> oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> all the time. I always put a disclaimer that I don't know if I know what I'm talking about, but I always love. And here's a great one. Here's a great hot take um, <clears throat> that I can't take credit for it. Uh, that Earth AD is actually sort of. Not that they thought of it this at the time, but in retrospect, it's kind of like a concept album. And that Earth AD is really one song in nine <laughs> parts, you know, that it's like... I never looked at it like Oh, that. yeah, that it's one continuous song about, you know, hell on Earth. What happens you after, know? after what happens after a great apocalypse or something. Right, after Doomsday, that's... Yeah. So it's one song divided into nine parts. I don't <laughs> now. If you say, okay, well, what do those parts mean? I, nothing. I'm just saying that if you think about the aesthetic feel, because here's the thing. And again, we could talk about this probably until we're blue in the face. No matter what it was supposed to sound like, you know, because we can go on and on. Oh, it's supposed to be slow. Oh, it's supposed to be like Sam Ain. Oh, it's supposed to be breakneck speed, hardcore. Blah 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 blah. Well, Jerry and Doyle had influence there. Oh, no, no, Glenn was sleeping. Whatever the case was. Mm-hmm. All of those songs are sound and are mixed kind of uniformly together. Yes. Along with that, the the concept, if there is a concept and there's not, but I'm saying that if you were to retroactively think of it as a concept album, is just simply the juxtaposition of those songs Mm. with that cover. The Mm -hmm. cover is the visual – both covers really are the visual representations of that, and that's it. Yeah, it, the record sounded like the covers, the, the right. back and the front cover. That's yeah, it it it, right. seemed, it was like a complete package to me. Yep. You know, and that's one of the uh, that's what I loved about it is that it looked scary, it sounded scary, and it's you know, it's a lot of shit going on, which is when you really like break it down, like oh, is it supposed to be Robo in the corner? You know, right. is that Doyle in the middle? The Evil you know, Dead. There's um. There's there's Ash's the little sister crimson, from the, the Evil Dead. Ghost is in there somewhere. Yep. Kind of copied to kind of segue a little bit. Go ahead. On the Rosemary's Baby's record. 
the way yes. the, the way they did the the collage of everybody like you like know was walk among was us it, too was it patterned after that and and right was it patterned after walk among us was it patterned after earth ad was it their take on it like they were fans of it and they wanted to make their record kind of look that way you know another right. record another record that along at that same time period that i discovered and and i just i loved it i loved it do you um, have the Rosemary's Babies, the Bloodlust EP? I have it digitally. I don't have the I have like a ripped have version. Vinyl. I don't have the vinyl. No. Um I think it holds the record for I think it holds the record for the <laughs> for the most songs fit on yeah. a single seven inch. <laughs> yeah, I would how many how many that. songs? I think there's like there's, is there maybe like fourteen songs or something? It's crazy. it is really fifteen songs. It is really, really crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there is a lot of songs that they manage to fit onto a seven inch. You're not supposed <laughs> to do that. You're supposed to, but it's like we have X. Talk, talk about resources, as you were saying. Well, we have this amount of money, and we can put this amount of. Uh, we're we're a hardcore band, and those guys, you know, C. A. Richie and Jr. and you know, uh, Erie and Post Mortem or whatever they those guys played at breakneck speed as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. So why wouldn't they put fourteen songs? On yeah, because some of the, some of the songs are only there's there's one or two that are under a minute. And I, and if I remember correctly, I think that record played at thirty three RPM. Is that is that faster or slower? That's slower. Forgive I me. think it played at 33 so that you they could fit all of them in there. I don't think they would Crazy. have all fit at 45. Crazy. I, as a matter of fact, I, I kind of got acquainted with uh, Postmortem. His real name is Bob Montina. I got I got um, I kind of connected with him about probably about 2004 when he they, uh, they reissued the that yeah, yeah. The CD yeah. And uh, he was, he was, I haven't spoken to him since then, but he was a really cool guy. Very down to earth. They tried to do a DVD, I think. And it never, Say again? they were trying to, I think he was <coughs> trying to do a DVD for them and it just never, the bassist, he, he just, they were trying to put some yeah. sort of retrospective. Yeah. Yeah. Bob. And it just never came to fruition. I could be wrong about that. I've never seen any live footage of, I don't, I, I mean, I, I guess it exists, but I've never seen it. And I, that's I, one thing that I would love to see. I don't know if it's I think it was meant to be like a like just like a documentary sort of retrospective thing, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know. Uh so how did you so you you were saying before you were telling me off air that you uh that you knew Erie or that you got to know Erie or that Erie yeah. was sort of your 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 in He was my catalyst to, to a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. Well, you know, once I I don't remember how I obtained the I think it was in a fanzine or something. There was like the Rosemary's Babies ad, like for the record and stuff. And I was like, okay, that's another band from Lodi. So, all right. right. And, and it was, it was like the devil baby. It was, it was, you know, whatever they're right. Yeah. With the little horns. Yeah, yeah. With the pitchfork and stuff. And I'm like, all right, this, this looks kind of cool. So, all right. They're, they're from Lodi. So I sent away for the record. Right. And I was, I guess I was probably, I think I was maybe 16, 15 or 16. And it was 83 or 84. It was, it was 83 into 84. Anyway, back when the days when people wrote letters to each other, right. You know, and there was an art form to communication. 
you know, I was in a analog band email. <laughs> I was in a band and, you know, I, I introduced myself and, you know, he would write letters to me and say, Oh, you know, talking about Rosemary's babies and what they were doing and they weren't really doing anything at the time. It was kind of, it was kind of like they were kind of phasing out at that point. Like the band had, had kind of not really done anything, but I think he was excited. The fact that somebody took an interest in it, you know, and so we right. got to corresponding. And then, um, you know, I had the record, I had a couple, he sent me like a bunch of t-shirts for free stickers. It's awesome. Um, you know, little eight by 10, you know, Xerox copies of the band photo and stuff. I had, a, I don't know what happened to all that stuff. I sadly, but uh, anyway, anyway, um, when I got my license and I guess I was a ballsy kid, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I got Erie's, this is his home address. You know, I'm just going to show up at his house, you know? Yeah. So it's not like he didn't know who I was. We had been communicating, and it wasn't out of the ordinary for people to just knock on your door at one point. It was a different era. It was a different era. And there was different ways of communicating. Like, right. it used to be normal, correct me if I'm wrong, Yeah. but it used to be normal that if you wanted to talk to a girl or talk to anybody but didn't have said person's phone number. You'd that, knock on their door. Or, or you could go to someone else and be like, hey, do you have so-and-so's phone number? They would just yeah. give it to you, and you'd call up cold and be like, hey, yeah. is so-and-so there? Hey, I'm so-and-so, and that's well, the way. That. We're going to get to that. We're okay. going to get to that later. <laughs> I mean, but so, that's just the way things were. You know, that's yeah, how. It wasn't out of the ordinary. It wasn't like, wow, right. nobody had ring doorbells and all that kind of stuff where they could see a mile away. Right. You know, so anyway, so I, I, I knocked on his door, and his dad answered the door. You know, this is like, eerie. This is Erie's this is dad. Eerie. Yeah, Erie's yeah. dad. And I was like, you know, is Erie home? And, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, he's upstairs. Come on in. You know, who, who, what's your name? I'm like, oh, I'm John. You know, Eric, John's here. You know, one of those types of things. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that was, and he was, they were very cordial. You know, they were, you know, just a really cool, you know, nice little house. And, you know, until you went upstairs into Erie's, Erie had two rooms. Oh. He had a bedroom and he had his hangout room. And I think cool. maybe like his older sister or I think he had a – I know he had a sibling, but I'm not sure if it was a brother or sister. But somebody had gotten married and moved out. So that other bedroom became his his man cave. Wow. Essentially. Um, that's where like his the Danzig hotline originated, you know, from, really? his, from his phone. Yeah, his answering machine. And the, it was – both his rooms were just, you know, posters, pictures, artwork, records, a shit ton of Elvis everywhere. Amazing. You know, and he was really cool. And, and you know, we would talk music and, you know, I would tell him what I was doing. And that was that was after the – that was shortly after the first Rock Hotel show in gotcha. March of 84. March of 84. They still hadn't finished recording Initium yet. I didn't even know what Sam Haynes sounded like at that point. Um, wow so you know he's like well you know i'm doing this other band now and i was like he's like i'm doing a band with glenn danzig from the misfits like rosemary's babies is essentially dead at this point you know he was still trying to keep it alive but you know he's like his energy was focused on sam hayne so that that was my introduction to sam hayne was that night that I the first night that I knocked on Erie's door? That but you already knew I, you already knew who the Misfits were. You already knew that they had broken up. But you didn't I know. Didn't, I I I think I knew they had broken up, but I really I didn't know what Danzig was up to at that point. 
Interesting. I, I, I didn't know because I didn't read a lot of fanzines and you know, I, it may have been like summer vacation and like, I didn't see the other kids that I knew from school to ask. Um, and again, at that point, my, the only reference that I had at that point was earth AD. So I didn't really know about the other, I eventually I would find out and backtrack. Um, but at that point I just, I, you know, I knew who morning noise was Rosemary's babies, the misfits. And, and that was my introduction to Sam Hain. And I, I think if I remember correctly um right not too long after that pete and steve were on uh wfmu radio show and the the record was supposed to come out in a couple of weeks and then i i was like oh okay this is what erie was telling me about glenn you know what's interesting you know glenn wasn't there erie wasn't there what's really interesting is that both you know both Glenn, uh, Erie and Steve, you know, were drummers within their bands, but yet, like, at the very forefront of, like, making stuff happen within their bands, you mm-hmm. know? Kind of interesting, like, how... Because usually yeah. you think of, like, a drummer as sort of, like, you know, well, I mean, if you look at the Misfits, <laughs> you know, it's like a drummer's yeah. in the background, but, no, like, Steve both of them played drums, they but they were... They steered their bands. They, they right, were like, their... They, they were steering their yeah. bands. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Yeah. They're steering their bands from the drummer seat, and it's just something that you don't generally see, and it's interesting how they then both went on to be in Sam Hain with Glenn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, when Erie had originally told me, I mean, the Lyle Presslar thing was over at that point, and Right. You know, he says, he says, well, it's Steve from Morning Noise and Damien, Pete Marshall from Morning Noise and Erie. I'm, so I'm like, wow, this is like a, this is like a Lodi punk super group. Super group. Like I was, I was kind of excited about it. But not even know, from to... a Glenn Danzig Misfits POV, like <laughs> from the other way around. That's what's so interesting about it. But it was, but yeah, I mean, Pete, Pete lived in Rutherford, but you know, the rest of the yeah. guys were all from Lodi and I was like, you know, this is. This is kind of where it's happening. So yeah, that you know, and and this this you know kind of friendship with Erie would continue for years at at this point. You know, like once I started getting into Sam Hain, I bought the I got the record. I don't remember if it was from Erie, but Erie did give me a lyric sheet. My copy did not nice. come with a lyric sheet. Erie did give me a lyric sheet. Um, and then on Holy Passion, and he would you know let me interject. Con- let me interject. We continue to write quick. to each other. Go ahead. I just want to interject real quick. I'm very curious because you are such a you're such a detail oriented and descriptive guy in the way that you talk and tell stories and things and just really, really intimate with this stuff, much like much like uh, John of Doom, the other John of Doom. Evil Heim. Um, Evil Heim. I call, he's John. Of, uh, he's John of Doom. I know you're John of Doom, too, but you, he's both John of Doom, whatever. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Yes. What what? Um, in your best words, how do you describe the music of Sam Hain? What is Sam Hain like musically? How do you come about that? Someone who's never heard the the, the music before, let alone maybe someone who's never even heard punk. I don't. Maybe that's not possible. Actually, if I heard. was to have to describe to someone what Sam Hain sounded like, yeah, 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 yeah. But forget about that thing I said about like never have heard punk period because that would just be ridiculous. Just, but someone who's never heard. Yeah, I like how do you describe their music? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, I would, I would, <laughs> I would. 
Well, I definitely wouldn't call it a punk band. Uh, I'd say it was definitely, I'd definitely say it was punk influenced in the approach. I, you know, it's weird because coming from a, being a musician, I would look at it in a different way that maybe some people wouldn't. Um, I'd say some of it was, I, I, I know Haim has said this and I have to agree with him, you know, somewhat dark, somewhat tribal, um, somewhat, like you take a song like Archangel, which is, I mean, was supposed to have been sung by Dave Vanian. I mean, you could, you could totally see that. It sounds like a, when you think about it from that perspective, you hear a damned song. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Like it's a damned you, you take, song. But then you take a song like Black Dream, which was, I, which was one of their earliest songs. Right. Um, and the chord progressions, that could have been a Misfit song too. I was going to say that could be Earth Day. I, I have a whole I, – I clipped one of my longer videos. I did like this whole tangent about sort of the confusion from Earth AD to Initium and how there is some overlap and how you yeah. know it would be kind of fascinating to see Earth AD songs from a and, Sam and, Hain and, and approach. And I – and taking you up on that challenge. Oh, okay. You already know there what I'm talking about. There is going to be a song from Initium. Wow. Okay. That sounds like it could have been on Earth AD. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but okay. I think you're going to like it. And I already talked to Haim about it, and we're definitely going to make it happen. So, cool. So your challenge was challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. All right. Yes. So you already know what I'm talking about. I, yes, I go do. Go watch that video for about. anybody who, who's not familiar. <laughs> but, you know, you look at a song like – like the songs that really kind of like like – you know, you, you listen to Black Dream, you listen to All Murder, and you go, yeah, of course this is the guy who did The Misfits, duh. But then you listen to Macabre. And the thing yeah. about, like, Macabre being or the played, shift. or The Shift, or The How, but really Macabre and Shift, those two yeah. songs, and you think about those two songs, and even Unholy Passion, the song, being played for a hardcore meathead audience. Yeah, they, yeah. In 1985. The is, yeah, they, I... If you, I'm sure you've seen the the, the Rock Hotel video. Uh, of course. Man, oh okay. yeah. Duh, duh. So yeah, so course. I mean, excuse me. They were different lyrics. Different lyrics. Yeah, yeah. He the, he hadn't really had it down yet, and in my opinion, I think they did that show probably way too early. They weren't oh, ready yeah. yet, you know. Oh yeah. Um, but this is just being you know nitpicky and stuff, but. Um, I would definitely say that he was he was starting to progress more into like I had said before, he was I know at the time I've heard from people that he was listening to a lot of goth type stuff. So right. an alien sex fiend type of, type of sound, Bauhaus. Nick Cave. So he was probably trying to he was probably trying to go in that direction. So I would definitely say it was more of a dark, gothy, but still powerful. You know, not as you know, for lack of a better term, not as wimpy sounding as what I felt a lot of that stuff was. Um, I think he, I think he, it had a harder edge to it. Specimen, yeah. But then when you see, when I saw Sam Hain live for the first time and saw these songs played live, yeah, and it it, it sounded like a totally different. It sounded a lot more powerful. You than had the to be there. Did. You yeah. had to be there. Yeah, I saw them three times. Uh, that's amazing. Oh, and by the way, go and listen. When we get done here. Go listen to the band Wire. Go listen to oh my god, what's the name of the song by Wire? It's going to bother me. That is in my grip, or that you know that that's where in my grip came from. 
he was <laughs> there was a lot of inspiration taken from that everything comes from somewhere um everything comes from somewhere yeah but no that is you know that is a perspective i seriously have never heard that it in in all of the episodes of the show and all the times You've that never, we've talked part? about what? no uh, just about the, the i mean this is why i live for you know talking to people who were around this stuff because you describe something that's totally new to me that's blowing my mind you're talking about how the songs were when they were recorded but then hearing them live there's a power behind them that you can't really sort of replicate unless you're in the live space hearing yeah. it through a stack and then all of yeah. a sudden it sounds it makes sense that it would be at a hardcore show or whatever like yeah. with all these yeah. other yeah hardcore but at, the, but at the be but at the beginning I could see he was definitely taking a risk with a lot of his new material because right. it was not going to appeal to the people who were expecting Earth AD Part Two. Right. You know, but as a musician, I understand people's progressions and and you know they take a a, a different turn in their songwriting. Right. So I definitely understand that part of it, but some people may not. Some people may be like, "Oh, this sucks. It doesn't sound like what I was expecting it to be." But then as the band went, I never saw them with Steve. I only saw them with London. Ah, interesting. So um, I've seen live videos with Steve. I, you know, I, I, I missed the Danceteria show in 85. Mm. And, and Steve played that show. And then I got to see them at City Gardens um, in, I believe it was October of 85. You know, right after London had joined the band. And then I saw them at the Ritz the following year, twice. Um, Did you see, you saw that final show? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Though so actually he... I actually thought the one before that, I th yeah. I think it was in April. I yeah. think that one I think that one was better. Interesting. I think I think that one was better. And again, you know, were they sloppy live? Somewhat. Not as sloppy as the misfits, but it wasn't it wasn't spot on perfect. But then again, it doesn't need to be. You know, it's just it's it the immediacy, the presence, the energy, the aggression. Yeah, but it was way better put together than what the misfits were live. I mean, it absolutely, was just... absolutely. I, I I haven't really heard what I would. There, there's misfits bootlegs that I just I can't even listen to them because they're, they're, they're just un, so they're shitty. nigh they're nigh unlistenable. Like you can't you literally you know what you listen to them for? You don't listen to them for musical enjoyment per se. You listen to them because they are. It's like a way of time traveling or it's yeah. a way of sort of like you know hearing the stage banter there's like a lot of reasons to listen yeah. to them but it's not yeah. like i don't listen to them for enjoyment that's why evil live is evil live because that's the best that was the best one that was the and best one fact, frankie had even said to me and frankie frankie from vod and from my yeah. first band like i said he was friends with um a guy named another guy named bob who eventually joined Voice of Doom as a bass player towards the end, Bob was at, Bob had given me his copy of Horror Business, which I think he got at the door at the Irving Plaza show. I think In when 79. They were, when they were giving that out. And I remember asking him, like, what did the Misfits sound like live? And he would just be like, <laughs> they sounded like shit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, that's... really? And he was like, yeah, they were horrible. They were awful. The guitars were all out of tune and... You know, it was just a mess, but, but as a show, it was great, but, right. you know, but just, you know, playing wise, it was just kind of all over the place. One of actually one of the better 
videos I've seen, I think was like around Halloween, the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania show. That's a good show. That's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. Yes. Yeah. I know exa- I know what you're talking about. They're kind of on the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. And Doyle's yeah. having problems with his amp at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, and then eventually it comes on. That's a pretty good one. And if you want, and you know what's real chaos? I mean, really, really real chaos is Channel Club 83, Boston. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Which is just, you literally see, you see like, you see like a, a like like twelve guys pile on Glenn and he's still singing the song. Yeah, like yeah. it's just, cra- I mean, it is crazy. You know what's interesting about that Channel Club is is that the one where the guys kind of interviewing them from the stage and Glenn's he kind of seems like real shy. No, that's right? why be something you're not. That's okay. in Dearborn, Michigan. Okay, in January um, of eighty three. He's very like <laughs> he's he's very like not. Uh, I guess maybe not used to talking, being interviewed. But he had been, but that's not, tr- I'll tell you why that's not true. You don't see it that way? The way that I, I don't, I think he's shy. being, no, he's very shy, but there's an, in, okay, so I don't know, you should check out this episode. Um, friend of the show, and someone I've known for years, Greg Fasolino, he actually came on the show as well. I, I've heard of Greg. Greg is the man. Greg is the greatest archivist that ever lived. Like, he's just... The dude is a living archivist. Like he's just, but one day he just out of nowhere, very casually goes, oh yeah, here's this thing that I take. He taped, he taped WFMU off of the radio in 1982. It was 43 minutes of the misfits on the air. No one's ever heard it. It just Mm. like, you can't, it's just something that just surfaced. I think Mm. it was last year or it was either earlier this year or it was last year. I don't remember. I think it was earlier this year. And also, what he also has a Danzig interview because he's interviewed. He's also interviewed Glenn on two separate occasions. Yeah. But what's amazing about these recordings is that he just had him. He just had him sitting on a tape. And in the '82 Misfits interview, which by the way, there's a revelation of Glenn saying that they are going to the Misfits are going to score the soundtrack for Blood Feast Two. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is Blood Feast, as we we all know, Blood Feast Two doesn't come out until two thousand two. It's directed yeah. by Herschel Gordon Lewis. Could he have been talking about Blood Diner d- that was directed by Jackie Kong and written by Dookie Flyswatter of Haunted Garage, which came out in nineteen eighty seven? Or was and, it just a bunch of bullshit? Just to, or to was it of, just a bunch of know. bullshit? But it's just like, <laughs> but what's interesting is like it's like, but that's what's so cool. And 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 the thing is like he gets into a whole thing with someone on the air. He was not shy. And there's also there's an interview from '79 on the radio. It's a one minute snippet of right before they go to England. And Glenn, you can hear Bobby in there too. It's really crazy. And Glenn and mm-hmm. Bobby, they're not shy. So I don't know. I don't. I you know maybe you're right, but I. I don't. I didn't, or maybe it's because he's just on the radio and it's a little bit different. You know, it's not like you know he has a camera and he's yeah. no, he knows he's being recorded. Well, Who knows, man? That's that's kind of that was just kind of like my take on it. Like at the time, he maybe yeah. he wasn't used to that format or wasn't expecting it. Or, right. I don't know. That's kind of just the way it came across to me. And you know, he he was looked a lot younger, a lot thinner, no tattoos at that point. You know, he kinda, right kind of looked. Actually, the funny part about it is he kind of resembled like a young Heim, like like the way he kind of came across. Really? Like you know, yeah, like that was that was kind of the way I saw that. And you know what's interesting too is you're so what's interesting is you're a guy you, you've seen Sam Hain, but 
you you still the misfits were before your time a little bit and so you the first time that you see the misfits is probably i'm making an assumption here but is on some crappy duped vhs tape that you know some vhs holdover from something i never saw i never saw any live misfits tapes vhs get out of here no not at that time i did not what when was the first time that you saw the band live and being like holy shit that's the band that's the that's the misfits uh that's a good question when did i ever see a live recording video of them yeah i i I couldn't even tell you wow i couldn't even tell you no i really don't i really don't know i don't know I remember even I remember seeing one in 2002, which this was pre YouTube. And to think I had no idea that there was any at that time. And, you know, I hadn't dredged through Misfits Central yet, probably. But at that time, I didn't know that there was any live VHS for any footage of the original band. I thought the Mm. only thing was the music videos of the Misfits in the 90s. And that's Mm. it. Well, back then. That back then, if you think about it, the, you know the recording the recording equipment was very primitive. Of course, yeah. Um, and somebody, whoever, whether whether they knew about it or it was just somebody showing up with a video camera, uh, probably filmed it and then maybe forgot about it or made copies for his friends and it didn't start to circulate for many many years. Right. I, I don't remember anybody in my circle physically having a VHS tape with the Misfits live on it. But even then, but even then, the, the thing is, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. But like, what is? And here's what the other thing you're talking about, like the the fact that like back then to even have somebody recording a show or something being kind of like hard to come by. But like. Even then, the Misfits were recorded a lot for a band that wasn't yeah, really recorded, yeah. right? Like yeah, they were yeah, recorded a whole bunch. Yeah, they were. They were. And whether it was band sanctioned or it was just a fan or somebody that worked at the club, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's another. That's another rabbit hole to kind of go down. Like you know, who recorded them here? Who had the original tapes? Was it? What did they know about it at the time? Did somebody you know say, "Hey, listen, I'm going to be filming you guys tonight. You know, have a good show." Um, I think that definitely is probably varied from show to show. I do know that the earliest recordings of the Misfits, for sure, were recordings made by Manny, the drummer, who the first drummer, Manny Martinez. He mm-hmm. recorded practices. He recorded live shows. The third live show was recorded, for sure. Maybe even the first two, from my understanding, I think even the first two cbgb shows yeah the two first two cb cbg shows are recorded and then you know we we talked recently i think it was the last show the show before that about the night of living dead music video Mm. it's like it's like it's shot on pneumatic tape it's like for a format or for technology that was that was hard to come by the misfits always seem to walk right into it pretty easily (laughs) you know it's kind of funny it's kind of funny when you think about it but it's funny you know when you look at you look at a lot of their early videos as compared to a lot of Dead Kennedy stuff. Dead Kennedy yeah. stuff was recorded. A lot, a lot of live shit was recorded, but the quality was better. So was it the luck of the draw? You well, know, even Flag. You know, some of the Flag stuff was still kind of still still shitty, but somewhat better in certain ways. I think what you're. I think what you're 
referring to is not so much a question of of quality as in the quality of the video that you're watching because you know this stuff gets dubbed oh yeah absolutely and duped and then the the quality just degrades yeah. and degrades there was a yeah, first yeah, generation yeah. of the bookie show it was like a very close to first generation of the bookie show from 81 in in, in uh, Detroit and it's you can actually see Arthur Googie like mm. in the band it's like mm -hmm. kind of crazy you know yeah. and they yeah, actually I've seen, like I've seen I've seen I think I've I've seen that yeah it's super clear and you're like whoa you know what I mean yeah and then you know you had guys at like Max's Kansas City with like super eight cameras that could record sound shooting mm. stuff too you mm -hmm. know what I mean like mm. it, it's just you know they definitely were recorded but I always find it interesting, like to think that you know, before the age of YouTube, like if you wanted to see them, you had to see them on a VHS. And mm. even still, my imagination, like I just, my imagination ran wild. And then when I first saw the first time I ever saw the Misfits was on Why Be Something You Not. I think it was probably the year two thousand two, and just being. Just I'm remembering the quality was terrible, but being like, oh my god, that's the actual band. I've seen yeah. photographs, but I've never seen them actually playing. Yeah, they're actually playing, and, and it yeah. just like blew my mind. You know, the, the, you know, the mythology around this band—it's crazy. It, you know, that's a very interesting point because I saw live action shots. We all have right, and it's very—it was very interesting to me to be so captivated with. A lot like the live action shot, whether it was from Erie or whoever, whomever, the live action shot had like a, a, a sound that had a had it had magic. Right. You know? And in retrospect, a lot of the live action pictures were better to me than actually seeing live video of them because I I had an expectation of what it's what it sounded like from the picture you interesting know, the way it was the way it was taken and you know erie took so many everybody knows erie took a thousand pictures um but seeing the live action shots to me kind of spoke more than actually seeing it's it's cool to see a video it's cool to see the videos yeah, i sure. watch i watch you know i watch as many as you know when i when i see them i watch them i may not watch the whole thing i may watch you know bits and pieces of it and for nostalgic's sake, that's pretty cool. But seeing the live pictures and hearing it in my mind, what it, what my interpretation of what that picture sounded like to me held more water. Um, real quick, I just want to say, Chris, I would love to talk to the dude from Red Shark who shot the Brain Eaters music video and did the channel show back to back. They were done back to back. They did the channel show and then they – oh, no, they did the commercial. No, I don't know which came first actually. In any case – we could talk about that off off the air, but Chris, I very much would like to talk to that dude. Um, so tell me about the formation. So you're seeing Sam Hain, you're friends with Erie. What? How does Voice of Doom form? How do you get that? How does that all get going? Voice of Doom started in the summer of '86. Um, I had, I kind of wanted, and 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 again. You know, the Dave Grohl school. Every drummer wants to play guitar, write songs, that kind <laughs> right. of shit. You know, so I was a young kid and I was like, okay, this is kind of what I, what I want to do. I was 18, 19. And the band we were in at the time was 
kind of on the verge of falling apart. So I had mentioned to Frankie, I said, you know, I want to do something. Are you interested in, in doing it with me? And he was, he was on board. So right. I was, I had, I had appendix surgery in May of 1986. So I was home from, I was home for two months. And during that two month period, I started writing songs and I was influenced. I'm not going to lie. You know, I was influenced by the misfits and Sam Hain, but only kind of like in theory, like I kind of wanted it to be like black Sabbath meets black flag. That was my, hmm. that was my take. And interesting. I, I hate to say, I, I hate when people say like, well, what does this band sound like? Well, it sounds like so-and-so meets so-and-so. Oh, so I love that. So that's such a good qualifier. I hate that. I hate that, you know, because it may not sound like that, but in my mind, this is kind of the area where I'm coming from. Slower songs, faster songs, heavy. And we kind of got it, you know, we got it going. Um, we didn't have a bass player at first. We got a drummer. I was playing bass and singing and, you know, Frankie's playing guitar. We had a drummer. And then, you know, we started having a revolving door of bass players and drummers. And the band was only <laughs> together for about two years. You know, eventually I switched to guitar and, and sang. Um, but then, you know, what? And, and to get back to what we were talking about before, cold calling. Yeah. You know, cold calling. I saw, when, when Frankie and I saw Sam Hain at the Ritz in 86, I said, you know, we're like, like well, you know, we need a drummer like, like London. That's the kind of drummer we need, you know? And, and Frankie was just like, well, why don't we just get London? Do you think he'd want to play with us? And I'm like, why would he? Like he's playing in Sam Hain. He's like, yeah, but you never know. Like, you know, right. you, know, you know, or maybe he knows somebody or something. I'm like, all right, that's not a bad idea. So, and I remember, I remember they were down, you know, after that they were kind of, no, I'm sorry. Let me let me backtrack for a second. It was this. It was after the second show, and then I had found out from Erie that they were, you know, uh, reconstructing for the next thing. That was after the Ruben thing. They weren't doing anything at the time. Right. So question. Was, question. Question. Yes. This is very interesting. This is like my favorite. <laughs> I don't want to lose my train of thought. Oh no. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Go ahead ask. No, no, it's in relation to what we're talking about, so it's it, it'll it'll stay. I, I I remember your place. I don't want you to forget it either. No, I'm not gonna forget it. I'm not gonna forget <laughs> it. I swear, so, I'm gonna remember so, it. So I'm sorry, my timeline was screwed up. But during that time period, yeah, I said, you know what? What the fuck? Four one one. You know, yeah. yes, the last name is May, in Rutherford, New Jersey. Yeah, because I I found out from Erie that's where he was, and there it was, Christopher London May, Christopher May. I knew that was his full name. You know. Dial his number, you know, hello, is this London? You know, blah, blah, blah. Introduced <laughs> myself, told him who I was, told him I was a friend of Erie's. You know, I saw you guys at the Ritz. I saw you at City Gardens, blah, blah, blah. We got to talking and we were the same age. He was about, a, I, think he, I think London is maybe, he's about two months older than me. Wow. And he was living there with his girlfriend and he wasn't doing anything at the time. There was no, there was no money coming in. You know, right. because they were, they were, they were down. Pending the Rick Rubin thing. So he was, that's where he was supposed to go next. But he's like, well, you know, I said, I have a show coming up. I have a couple shows coming up. I have some recording coming up. 
would you like to come down and check it out? I, you know, maybe you'd want to, you know, sit in with us. And he was like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll check it out. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll see what's up. And that's just, that's how that happened. You know, and he was only with us for a short period of time. He wasn't going to be with us for very long because of, you know, going on to the, to what would eventually become Danzig. Right. But it was kind of like a fill in for him to make a little extra cash and, and, and play. And, you know, we became close friends. I mean, we're not, we're not extremely close to this day. We still are in contact, but at the time, you know, we were like BFFs for, for, you know, for that time. And, you know, and then of course we all know what happened, you know, Chuck biscuits came in and London moved back to Baltimore. Right. Right. And that, and he and that was, was it. That was it. That was after, it. after London, we kind of we got a couple of different people here and there, but it just it didn't have the same impact as having him, and that was the kind of drummer that I wanted because I'm a drummer. So right. you know, now that I'm writing songs, and and you know, it, it's got to be it's got to be London May or just as good, even though the other guys were were still okay. But I was just like, I'm th- that's it. It's like this is done. Now and that was it. What's it's an interesting that's also like such an interesting time period because like it's almost two years before they reemerge as Danzig and mm. so much changes. Yeah. The sound changes, the songs change. Um, just like every you know, everything kind of changes, especially there's like this period where they kind of like don't really have a guitar player and they're still, you know, it's that's just... another interesting one. That's another interesting one. I'm sure you've heard that John, how John Christ got the gig. Cause of, he was friends with London. Well, his London's parents were friends or knew his parents. And John right. was, John was, John actually came when John came up from Maryland, he lived with London. Right. And this he I knew. was, he was a total he came to a voice of doom rehearsal with London. It was me, London, John Christ, and our bass player at the time huh. in my car on our way to VOD rehearsal. Wow. And and John was a total Tony Iommi, you know, with the mustache, right. and the curly hair, and everything. <laughs> yeah. You know? And he right. was you know, he was he wasn't from Baltimore. He was kinda like from the outskirts. So he was kinda rural in a way. You know, totally cool guy, but just you could tell he just wasn't from around here. You know? Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was, that was the time where it was like, uh, you know, when John had gotten the gig and then they started rehearsing. Um, but even prior to that, I remember go, again with Erie, going back to Erie, going over Erie's house and, you know, Erie is in the bathroom mirror, putting his, putting makeup on. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, you going out? He's like, yeah, we got, we have guitar player, we have guitarist auditions tonight in New York. And he was in full Erie Vaughn. Wow. You know, not just hanging out in his house, you know, with a basketball jersey. He was, he was, he was, he was going, he was putting it on, you know? And then, um, yeah, then that was a short period of time with John in London. And then I don't remember, oh, John eventually moved in with Chuck and me and Heim's friend, Mike. Right. You've heard that story. Well, you you guys got to hear the cool version of you and me. I didn't hear it. I wasn't there for that. I wasn't there for that. Interesting. Yeah, no, Heim heard that. I never heard it. So I can't can't corroborate it with him. That's crazy. I'm sorry. I cut you off. You were getting ready to say something. No, I I basically said it. It was just that that this is a very interesting time that, you know, in my – in my scholarly studies of all this nerdy shit that like, you know, I find this to be a very interesting 
sort of period because they were when they left we did a whole episode on this recently but when they when they finished that show and they signed with Ruben they were still kind of Sam Hain you know yeah, they were not yeah. they was not they had songs in the can that were going to be for a fourth album yeah. and Danzig was toying with the ah that's right I fuck I forgot to include that Danzig was was really toying with the idea of releasing, he's like, well, we're going to be doing the major label thing, but it's taking forever. So why don't we, we're going to, we're thinking about trying to release one more Sam Hain record. Yeah. He kind of knew it's from this interview. It sounded like he kind of knew that, that it was, you know, that the writing was on the wall for anything that was Sam Hain. Yeah. At the end of the day, November coming fire really is, you know, the, the, the period, the punctuation on this exploration of what that was. Like you really, in in fact, in fact, I said it, I forgot what I said the beginning of it was, but the end, in my opinion, is a song like, you know, To Walk the Night or November's Fire. Mm. You know, like that's the period on Sam Hain, really. Like it's just like, Mm -hmm. where do you kind of go from there, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, but, you know, sort of continue to evolve. And you know, if anything, if what 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 would Sam Hain? Here's one for you. What would a Ruben produced Sam Hain sound like? How they had they not changed the name to Danzig and sort of stripped everything down and whatnot? You just listen to Possession on on uh, Danzig One, right? My opinion. I mean, I got to learn a lot of about Rick. I I knew who Rick Rubin was. Yeah. And I knew he was big in the rap scene, but I got to learn a lot about Ruben from Erie in those original rehearsals. You know, interesting. I was still friends with Erie. I was still, you know, right up until the short period before they moved to California, we were still friendly. And he would tell me, like, Rick Ruben's favorite instrument is the hi hat. So he's real big on the hi hat. Wow. You know, he he likes his leads off to one side. That's kind of the way he prefers them. He likes everything very trebly, believe it or not. He likes a lot of treble. He kind of likes everything flat. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. You know, he likes things to sound like he loves ACDC and he was producing the cult and and stuff like that. And he kind of made the cult sound ACDC-ish. And that's kind of the way, you know, he wanted, he wanted a guitar. He was very happy with, John, even though, you know, I don't know if you've heard, like, John was so nervous for his audition that he actually, I think he actually, like, threw up or something. I did not hear that. I did not hear that. He went, like, totally, he went, like, totally off, like, uh, he was, like, running around and he was nervous and he was, like, I think he, like, bit Rick Rubin or, it could just be bullshit, but who the hell knows. (laughs) Um, But that was the way, you know, the way Rick preferred to work. And, you know, all that shit about him laying down on a couch and looking up in the air and listening to it and making suggestions and how he wanted things. The majority of that stuff I had heard firsthand from Erie because he was, he would go to, he would come to Zounds. They rehearsed at Zounds, which was literally, you know, um, a half a mile away from where Chuck and John were living at the time and Glenn was in the next town. And, you know, he would, and Erie would tell me, you know, Rick would say, all right, show me what you got. And he would just stand there with his arms folded and listen to it. Oh, my and, God. And make suggestions. So, in my opinion, a Rick Rubin-produced Sam Hain album, I don't think would have sounded 
like Sam Hain. I think. Oh, you just of- schooled the shit out of me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> because wow. Rick, because Rick, and you can see it later on when you listen to a band like, you know, the Four Horsemen. Okay. Who was another deaf American. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I, I have not heard of them. Chuck Biscuit's brother. Dimwit, Dimwit. Was, yeah. in the, was in the Four Horsemen, and they, and that was a Rick Rubin produced album, as far as I remember. I know he was on it somewhere, if not maybe executive producer, but it has that sound to it. It has that straight ahead rock and roll. Rick had Rick at the time had a very signature sound, and you might not hear it unless you're kind of like listening for it. You know, I want he right. put, he, he would put his lead off to one side, and it would come out blaringly loud. He, that was kind of like his thing. And, and when Erie told me this and then I started listening to Rick Rubin produce stuff, I think that, yeah, that's, that's what I think. I think a Rick Rubin produced Sam Hain album probably would have sounded, sounded like the first dancing guy. But I know Rick was – Possession. I, I know Rick was, was – was, would lend a hand in arranging as well too because I'm sure you've heard that. I can't Sam imagine Hain demos as opposed to the way the songs yeah. came out on the first Danzig album. Of course, he had input. I, I couldn't imagine that Rick Rubin didn't have didn't uh, shape. I mean, that's the, that's literally what it is. It's like if there's like a, a, a machine. If Rick Rubin is a machine and there's a conveyor belt, it's like you watch Sam Hain go through the machine and they come out as Danzig. That's an and, excellent point, right? Like you just and you don't know what's going on inside, but that's what you just did. Through your game of telephone, through the secondhand information via Erie, because you soaked it up. And I'm sure Erie, you know, who knows if Erie remembers even saying all that stuff. But it's like because – but that's what's amazing. It's intact because you remembered. Yeah. And now we know. And that's like – that is – that was like you're blowing my mind <laughs> with with all these little revelations of just like how – he came in and he's like, look, you got, let's strip away the old band. And Glenn's like, no, no, no. Erie, Erie stays with us. And yeah, you know, just like all these different things that we kind of, you know, know from interview stuff, but then like the actual mechanics of how the sound changes. Yeah. You're yeah. just, you're blowing my mind right now. Well, you know, I know that way. I mean, I, I've known Pete Marshall a long time. Damien. Great guy. Yep. Great guy. I interviewed him on this channel. Great guy. Um, and as a matter of fact, we just recently uh, did some work together. I was re- we were, was recording some new stuff with Electric Frankenstein, and Pete actually came in to That's rehearse awesome. to rehearse with us on the bass. And um, oh, he did. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Oh my god, I, dude, and, Electric Frankenstein with Pete on bass. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. That's great. So I know I know Rick Rubin was looking like I think John Christ was the perfect mold for Rick what Rick Rubin was, was right. looking to do. Right, he wanted that. Yeah, he, he wanted that. He wanted a guy who and again, I've maybe had a handful of conversations with John in my life, but you know, the John Christ coming up from rural Maryland with the perm and the mustache yeah to what he became was he, he was such a great guitar player and he was willing to do anything to make it because he was hungry, you know, and, right. and, you know, his image, the way his, you know, they had the sandwich, you know, the, the, the bookends with John and Erie and the long hair and the mustache, the mutton chops, the whole nine mm-hmm. yards, you know, he was the perfect, very Sabbath, 
very Sabbathish of them. Yeah. To sort of do yeah, that. Yeah, like a geezer too. Tony thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, and he was perfect, and he he could play the shit out of the guitar, and Rick could kind of steer him in the direction of yep. the way he wanted him to, as opposed to a guitar player coming in with his own agenda. You know. Now, what's interesting? Two things. All right. Now I remember what I wanted to interject the first time too. So you're talking about Pete, and I asked Pete we, when I was talking to Pete. I had Pete on the show, and he said, "He's like, yeah." Like when I got, when I left Sam Hain, when I was, you know, when I was, when, when I was out, he said it took him two years to figure out how to like replay the guitar, you know, normally or whatever. Cause he, he just quit call. playing. I didn't know that. No, no, not that he quit playing, just that he, that playing that the guitar oh, stuff. Oh, cause he had dumped, he had dumbed it down basically for Sam. No, no, not, not dumbed it down, but that, that just like, cause I said, Pete, what makes Sam Hain different from other music? And this is what he said to me. And again, not a musician, everybody. We all know this. Just saying, you're the musician, actually. Maybe you could speak to it or not speak to it. Um, he said that it's not rooted in the blues. That's that's what he that's said to me. That's a good point. That's right? Good point. So yeah. you're doing, there's a lot of angular stuff. Everything's like unconventionally. Yeah. The hooks, like, you know what's funny? Sam Hain has hooks in it. But yet it's like angular and weird. It's kind of like the Pixies, actually. The Pixies are like that, too. I had heard an interview with Pete where he said that when I used the frame phrase dumbed it down was that he was more – that really wasn't – it wasn't in his natural wheelhouse to, to play that way. He kind of like adapted to it. But, you know, Pete is a very old school guy when it comes to, you know, equipment and, and stuff that he likes and listens to. And, you know, of right. course we know yeah, he's, he's you know, a gearhead. He had a, he had a career with Erie with, uh, with Iggy, Iggy Pop. Yeah. You know, so, so I remember him saying that it was at, he actually had to play. It, it was less. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, it was less uh, challenging for him to play that kind of stuff. What because Sam Hain? The Sam Hain kind of stuff. Huh. Le, not maybe not less challenging, but less. Um, it was a, it was it was a challenge for him to adapt to Glenn's style, but it wasn't what he was used to and what he felt comfortable with. Maybe that's maybe that's a maybe that right. I you know all I know is is that he he was just basically like he said it wasn't rooted in the blues and he said that which is absolutely took, correct. Yeah, just that that it's like such a weird like what a weird thing to say because when you think about rock is rooted in the blues that's what it, it everything you know everything's rooted from the blues so it's like it's like not it like doesn't come from that kind of way and yet at the same time you know there are certain sam Hain songs that i think would definitely like you could you could imagine i think one time i was imagining duran duran doing like synth covers <laughs> of certain sam Hain songs and that it would work <laughs> I forgot what episode that was, but we, we came up with some pretty good ones where it would kind of like, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of work out, you know, um, in a way that 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 makes sense. You know, if you could imagine, because I mean, Glenn is using like, for instance, when Glenn is playing drums on November Coming Fire, that half of the drums that he's playing are not even actually drums. They're like these. It's like a drum machine. Mm -hmm. He's doing drum machine on it, you know, mm -hmm. and you could definitely hear that on the final descent. Sam Hain Grimm demos for sure. You know, it's like, funny. It's just ridiculous. You know, when, when, when I, if I sit down with a guitar and I'm like, you know, just playing, because every once in a while I'll just do it. I'm sure millions of people do it. 
sit down and play along with with one of their records. You know, Glenn, he, you know, he would write in a, what I would call it, he would write in a box, you know. Yeah. This, this song is in D and it's going to, ch- it's going to be in this box and it's going to all circle around D. And then this one is in, you know, C and it's going to circ, it's going to, you know, circle around C, you know, like, especially on Walk Among Us, you know, very, huh. very, you know, much kind of structured in that way. But then, you know, a song like Sam Hain, as opposed to, um, the Howl, or uh, even his re his redo of Horror Business, they're all kind of they're not in that box, you know. And and right. sometimes sometimes the, the the way the song progresses or the where he goes when he's writing the song on guitar is not what you would expect, which makes it interesting to listen to. It definitely makes it sound different, but I could see where. Pete would say it's not rooted in the blues because it doesn't have natural progression chord changes. It goes somewhere else where you might not expect it. And right. that, you know, but that was what, that's what Glenn was. And was that's, going yeah, to it's do. like, I'm going to do that. I, I, that's what I, I'm going to do the anti thing of whatever it is. And then right. Ruben comes in and Ruben's like, no, 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 no. Let's. Yeah. You're taking it, but we're taking it back to the basics here now. And you know what? Perhaps in, in fact, what did Pete in, here's a weird thing, thing observation to make. Perhaps it's even almost Glenn's fault what did Pete in because Ruben's watching them on the stage at the show that you're at and he's going, ah, this this guitar and this guitar playing, ah, this isn't going to work for what I'm thinking of. You know, like almost that, like, let's start over with someone, you know, like John Christ because of everything that you just said, technical jargon, whatever. But that's Glenn's design. Not Pete's design, but Pete yeah. still no, becomes that's, the that's casualty. True. That's true. You know, Pete. Pete may have fallen into that well. Yeah. For all we know, in hindsight, I mean, we don't know because he might he never got that chance. Right. You know, but Pete was Pete was you know technically better than he was because again, like I said, I had seen I'd heard interviews with him where he said he actually had to take a step back and, like I said, dumb it down to play that mm-hmm. type of stuff. He was capable of doing better. But he didn't have a chance to because that's not the way it was Glenn's, you know, idea. This is how I want it to be. Every, you know, every drum beat, every guitar note, this is how I wanted it. And whether it was carried out that way live, it was somewhat sloppy anyway. You know, you're going crazy and you're not as right. precise, right. you know, and stuff like that. But that's an interesting point. I never thought of that. I'd want, I'd be curious as to what uh, how Pete felt about that. And then what's – and then here's the other thing too that, you know – you know, you get then John Christ comes in, and you know he he's he's malleable as you said, which is something that you know they always kind of liked, and then Ruben falls out of the picture, yeah, and it's like we're take they're taking that, but they're still building on top of that Ruben template, yeah, you know, like he laid the foundation. Right, Ruben laid a foundation that Glenn continued to build out until he gets to Danzig Five, which is like fuck everything. Yeah, yeah. He's like fuck everything. Which is which? Which is totally on brand is, for Danzig. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah. I mean, he wanted to do something the same way he wanted to do something different with Sam Hain as opposed to the Misfits. Now in Danzig Five, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up a little bit. Right. And and you know. Th- I give them whether I like those records or people like those records or not. 
you know, as a songwriter, as a you know musician, I can totally respect wanting to do wanting to yeah, color bring, outside the fresh lines ground. for a little bit. Absolutely, sure. Um, I'm okay. I, I I agree. I fully agree with that. And you know, I've listened to those records, and they're interesting. I they're not particularly my cup of tea. I what's think your they're... favorite? What's your favorite Danzig album? Oh my god, I'm gonna have to go with one. Like straight up, even though you know, I love. Here's the thing about two. Two kind of falls off for me towards the end. Like you know, um, I'm not a big fan of. Even though it's a, I know this is a popular staple. I'm not a big fan of Devil's Play thing. I'm not a big fan of. Not a girl. I'm not a big fan of girl. Love blood and tears, you know. But the the first side of Danzig Two is like immaculate and unstoppable. But as a full, whole, cohesive album, mm-hmm. Danzig One straight through nothing touches it. It's just, it's just phenomenal. I love Danzig Three too. I can listen. Those are three three albums I can put on all the way through. But there's only yeah. one where I'm like, holy crap! Every song's a hit. Now I remember the other thing I wanted to say to you, which was this. To, to 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 just finish off the Pete and Pete and John Christ thing, then Danzig plays their first show, and I'm sure you've heard that tape, the City I was there. Gardens. Oh, you were there. So there you go. So if you've li- you should re re listen to a tape of the show if you you know want to revisit it or whatever. But what's interesting, I, I this was this is my opinion as a listener to a document. You know, thirty. I've heard I've heard your take on that. I saw you you talked about it with with uh, yeah with Heim. Yeah, about how he was he was kind of singing the Danzig songs in a Sam Haynes style. But not just that. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. That it's the same principle as Sam Hain in March of '84. That they're not quite. They, the, the songs album aren't isn't finished yet. The no. songs aren't finished yet, and yeah. he's still singing with that. He, they're right in the middle of that Ruben makeover. Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, still yeah. singing gutturally. Yeah. And but, but what the the point that I wanted to key on is not what Danzig's doing. But that John Christ, and again, God bless John Christ. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. God bless John Christ. God, uh, God bless John Christ, man. Like, you know, I love John Christ as a guitar player, but he is not doing those Sam Haynes songs as well as Damien. No, you know, that's it's that's funny. my point. It's You know what? It's funny that you bring that up because, you know, I was there. So right, you... I, rem- I remember, <laughs> I remember, because the the album wasn't written yet, so they didn't have a lot of material. You know, they so did th- a lot of Sam Hain. They songs. did a lot of Sam Hain songs, and yeah, as much of a of a, a a great band as Chuck and John were, I prefer those songs played by the Sam Hain. It it didn't. It I agree with you. I I always thought that was odd. It's almost like a. It's almost like because like people say Hain that. Cover band. Well, oh, I was gonna say that you know because Chuck and and John are technically the last lineup of Sam Hain, that Danzig's first show is technically or in a weird kind of nerdy semantic. We're sitting here really picking up the tiniest of minutia ways that it's the last Sam Hain show. Yeah, because yeah, of the that's sun. Interesting I mean, they open the set with Sam Hain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They play Black Dream. Yeah, and you hear John Christ can't grasp these songs, but then he plays the new dancing material, and it's yeah. like he's on fire. I mean, yeah. he's absolutely on fire. But you give those songs to Pete, and Pete, he knows what to do right yeah. away with them. Yeah. So well, that also could be that you know Pete had played them for so many years. They were very, they were very, um, they hadn't gelled yet. 
as a unit. You know, Who, that, Danzig, uh, Danzig or at, at, no, at that city garden show. Yeah. They, they didn't really have the chemistry. They didn't have the chemistry yet. They weren't tight yet. They weren't tight yet. It was, it was still fairly new. They hadn't been together for that long. And, you know, they may have written the Danzig songs together, but Glenn, you know, saying, okay, we're going to play, you know, six Sam Hain songs. So learn them. And they had great. Played- they hadn't played nailed for it. very long. John, you nailed it. I think you just <laughs> nailed it on the head. And then fast forward to Irvine Meadows in 92, and they're doing Left Hand Black, that 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 video that, yeah. that pops up, and they are just the tightest band. Like, they're just, they're reading, they're telepathically reading each other's minds on that yeah. stage, and they're just the, the most well-oiled machine this this perfect unit that just knows every nook and cranny of what they're supposed to be doing yeah, they, well the the chemistry was there the the, the yeah. repetitiveness and they grew into a band together almost like when you see the first sam haynes show at rock hotel and then you see the first danzig show even though the first danzig show was better yeah you know it was it was still the origin of it and they they didn't quite have it yet Right. So that's, you know, now let me ask you this question. A lot with a lot of new, you know, as soon as you get something, you're not great right out of the gate. You know, no, of course not. Of course not. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Yes. Um, What is what what do you consider to be the best Sam Hain album? I mean, the best Danzig album. Well, my favorite Danzig album is probably. I, you know. I'm out after I'm out after four. You like know, most people. I like, yeah. I like, again, like you say, the first one, you put it on from start to finish. It's, yes, I can do it. Okay, but that's not right. my favorite. That's not my favorite album. I like one. I like two better, but 90% of it. And three, I like 80% of it. Love three. So, you know, I... I go back and forth. I don't. I if I I can't pick a favorite. If if gun to my head, if I had to pick a favorite, <clears throat> I'm gonna say two. Gotcha. Just because I like the I like the varies the variations of the songs. Right. You know, like there's a lot me, more variety. To me, that was you know like obviously a classic rock influenced. Um, approach to it where every song is not going to be the same. There's an acoustic song. There's a, a a slower, you know, blood and tears. There's a slower, you know, which that that song is incredibly powerful. Oh. You know, th- to me, there's no reason why that song should not have been a huge hit, more so than Mother. You know, Mother, I I have heard it so many times. It's a great song, but if I never hear it again, same dude. I won't miss I'm it. so tired. I'm tired. Of, I've been tired of Mother. A blood long, and tears, long time. in my opinion, should have been bigger than bigger than mother that's him doing and you know what's funny along with sustina's too i always talked about you know I, i've been talking a lot about this danzig sings elvis record i'm a big fan i love i really 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 like this record i think it's as i've said for the millionth time pocket full of rainbows most interesting thing danzig's recorded in 25 years personally in my personal opinion but what what's interesting i always said that it's an autobiographical record that you hear him singing, you were always on my mind and you hear Sestina's and stuff. But when I was listening to Sestina's the other day, I was on my walk, you know, the same walk when I yeah. called, when we were talking on the phone 
and I'm going, oh my god, this is this isn't Elvis. This is freaking Roy Orbison, dude. <laughs> this is this is absolutely. And I'm not even joking. This is the follow-up to you and me. That's how you have to listen to Sestinas the next time. And I'm not talking about the big kettle drums. I'm just talking about uh, – I'm talking about the guitar and the vocals, and it's like you could put Sestinas as the B-side. Mm, interesting. Sestinas is like a gl- gl- uh, Glenn Danzig and the Power and Fury yeah. Orchestra song. Interesting. interesting. It, it, and it's like – it's not to say that the Elvis influence isn't there either for you or always on my mind, but – it doesn't quite fit in the same box when I was re-listening to it and going, holy hell, like you really feel the Roy Orbison in the same way that you hear Jim Morrison on Danzig one. And really, you know, mm-hmm. I was listening to Walk the Night, you know, when I was doing the Sam Hain listening party thing. And I'm just going, oh, my God. I mean, the the Morrison thing that he's doing the to walk the night is the beginning of the danzig per the dad mm. the danzig crew yeah. that we yeah. get yeah. on danzig one it really that's the first inklings that it's coming mm. you know amongst all the barking that he's doing and barking out these danzig and samian songs that like he's starting to experiment with this idea yeah of doing this jim morrison brooding croon that he mm. would perfect on danzig one you know, interesting point. Um, so, so there's that. So, so let's fast forward a little bit. Let's fast forward now. Got the closing the chapter on Danzig for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, when do you start first hearing inklings about Christ the Conqueror? <laughs> oh, uh, I can't. Heim had Heim had the cassette, and I just yeah. it was unlisted. I, I didn't. Even, I listened to it a little bit with him, and no, I never. I have no opinion on it except I just didn't like it when I heard it. Right, but when did you you when did you heard like that those guys? I just mean, I when did you hear it, those guys were coming back or something? Right, like um, what? I don't remember exactly. Okay, I don't remember exactly. I just, okay, it was just kind of like an in passing thing. Like, oh, here's Jerry and Doyle's new band called Christ. I thought it was a joke. Yeah, I thought it was a joke, and then then I never I listened to it for like five minutes, and then that was it. So I can't, I can't give you an opinion on Christ Conqueror at all. Although you can, although you kind of can, because a lot of that music would eventually find its way onto those new Misfits records. I never listen. I, I listen. Okay, unless that, assuming that you listen to them, yeah, but you say no, you don't. So I, there you go. Uh, the first, the first one, the fr- which you know we we still didn't touch on the uh, I know we've been on for a long time but we still didn't touch on the uh, well that's what the, I'm trying the, to get the, to right now the, yeah um, I listened to the I what was the first Misfits album when they came back was it Famous Monsters they what came back called? with Famous they came back with American Psycho and then following Famous Monsters but before we even begin before you even start telling I, me I about listened, this I listened to that a little bit and yeah. I kind of appreciated it but it fell off my fell off my list fell off my radar. fair enough fair enough. Um, how about how about this how about this one for you? The the idea that in a weird kind of way, the Misfits '95 subversively is just Christ the Conqueror under the Misfits using the Misfits name with a it, with a it, new singer. It could be. I I didn't listen to it that right. in deep to 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 pass an opinion on that. If you if you say every song on the first Misfits. American Psycho was 
rewritten Songs of Christ the Conqueror? If you told me that, I would say okay because I I can't prove it or disprove it. There, the, yeah, there's a lot. It's not a. It's not like it's not like note for note, but there's like whole swat. Like they took a lot from. They cannibalized that music and reshaped the songs. Which kind of makes which kind of makes sense if you think yeah. about it, because there were songs that they they liked and they thought they were good and right. know, now they were going to they were going to use them you know that that would make total sense so then tell me okay so i was going to start as early as the christ conqueror but just, so then tell me when you you and and haim first hear like hey the the misfits are auditioning singers when does that all come about well, how does that happen they already had they were letting people go up there right as to audition for them audition but they already had Chud, and Graves was kind of like waiting in the wings. Right, second banana. Graves Always. had Graves actually came down and auditioned for Electric Frankenstein. Shut up. Yes, yes. It was during that time period, and it all kind of coincided in the same way because they had chosen Graves, but they weren't sure if he was going to make the cut. They wanted to see if they could get somebody better. Yeah, um, a they... friend of. Um, a friend of mine, longtime friend named Billy, his brother was friends with a guy who knew Jerry. And they said, okay, they're letting people come up and audition, audition. Right. So, you know, four of us went up there. And for them, it's just an excuse to practice. And That's pretty much what it was for people to get interested. Like, hey, I'm trying out for the Misfits to kind of, you know, get the, get the thing going, you know right. what I mean? Excitement, build excitement. So me and Heim being the Misfits fans that we were, and him with his voice and, you know, me with the drums, you know, knowing all the material, it's like, you know, all right, this is our, this is our, you know, our teenage moment now. Right. You know, here we are, like, you know, we're, we're going on stage with the Rolling Stones or something, you know, <laughs> as kids. So it's, it's a, it's a great memory. It's a great yeah. memory of, of going up to Vernon. Yeah. In their machine shop with. Yep you know, all the posters and everything all over the wall. And, you know, Doyle presses a power strip and like five amplifiers come on <laughs> and it's just, it sounds like thunder, you know, and Jerry hits his switch and it's like, I'm on the drums. I'm standing in front of me, looking at me with a microphone and here's Jerry and Doyle. Wow. And it's like, it's like, okay, this is like, this is, this is fight or flight right here. You know? Right. Like, and, and Heim was, he'll tell you. And you know, he was, he was nervous. I wasn't really so much nervous. I was just like, let's do it. I was excited to do it. So, you know, so Jerry's like, he's like, what songs do you want to do? You know? <laughs> so they had the set list up on the wall. You yeah. Know, Halloween, 20 eyes, Marshall. Yeah. I think I just, I'm like, fuck it. Let's do them all. Yeah. He's like, he's like, okay. You know? And then, you know, Doyle hits the first quarter of Halloween and then that was it. Oh my just, god! It was just off from there, and I don't remember how many songs we played, but we we did play a whole bunch, you know. <clears throat> and Chud was recording this on drums. <laughs> no, Chud Chud came in later. Oh, he did. Chud came in later, and he was watching us play. And then Doyle went back to work. Yeah. Because they were working. Right. And then I had Doyle's Ice Man. I was playing guitar. You know, Chud was wow. playing drums. Heim, I think it stopped singing at that point. Our other friend was singing. Jerry was playing bass. So you've seen the picture of me with Doyle's Iceman, you know. And one of the one of the funniest, like, you know, 
moments that I can remember was, you know, we're, we're, we're doing London Dungeon, you know? And, yeah. You know, I'm hitting the, dun -dun, I don't want to be here in your London. And I hit the E and I like bent the neck on his guitar for like emphasis. Like, yeah. You know? And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm playing Doyle's Iceman. Like, but this was what interesting. If what you're, if I broke it? Like, you're playing the Iceman, but by this time, he's already making his own guitars. That's what's interesting. I didn't here. know that at the time. The Iceman was what he had there to, to, to rehearse with. And what about, what is, do you remember off the top of your memory, what was Jerry have his custom he, guitar? He had his, yeah, like his Batwing bass or whatever. Which is he, just. Yeah, yeah, it was just a black, <laughs> it was a Batwing bass. The I Devastator, think. yeah. <clears throat> whatever it's called. The Devastator. <clears throat> my, but my friend that came up with us, he's like, he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like you're bending the neck on Doyle's guitar. What if you broke it? I'm like he just glued it back together. I'm like I would have to jump out the window. Yeah, that would be my only way out of but here. But that Iceman, I, I okay. If it is the right Iceman, that Iceman recorded Earth AD. I didn't know that. Yes, that's the Iceman that recorded Earth AD. The Doyle, Doyle's here. Jerry's here, facing each other, mm. and Robo is facing them. Yeah, in a concrete room, and they're just playing live in the room and yeah. with that Iceman. Yeah. You wow, know? That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that's the Iceman. And it might have even been used on, on Walk Among Us as well. Don't quote me on that. Don't mm, quote me on that. Interesting. Um, so, so that was fun. That was that was a fun experience. And that you was... got your tape? You got the uh, uh, recording of the tape? I, I think our friend Billy has it that came up with us. I think he has it. Hein may have it. I don't have a copy of it. Oh my if goodness. I did, I lost it a long time ago. I, I get some sometimes stuff that I really should keep. <clears throat> I'm I'm very I, I lose a lot of shit. That is and did you Heim remembers um there you got me calling him Heim instead of John of Doom. <laughs> um Heim remembers that Michael Graves was kind of sulky in the corner or whatever. Um, yeah, I think he he was well yeah, because he was watching people audition for maybe taking his job his job yeah interesting <clears throat> i listen i fully i don't blame him i would be mad too i'd be like and right after know. that right after that literally yeah. probably like a month or so after that <clears throat> frankenstein went through a change where steve was i don't know how much you know about electric frankenstein so i uh, man i recorded electric frankenstein and i've interviewed sal it was over at sal's house about okay. 10 years ago interviewing him he probably – I don't know if he would even remember me, but a super – what a sweetheart of a guy, Sal. But Steve Steve was on the first couple of records with us and then Steve left. is the lead – Steve's the lead singer, Steve Miller. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know you know who was in the band when I was sort of like around? Not like yeah. around, around, but like um, Mike Mindless who just passed away oh, last yeah, year. Oh, yeah, that was – R.I.P. Yeah, that was probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, that that's was very... about – yes, it was 2011. Yeah. It was very much later, ago. very much later down the line. Yeah, but it, but Steve had left Frankenstein for a couple of years to go. I did his not own know thing. that. Yeah, and we were looking for another singer, and Graves came down to audition to Zounds and Saddlebrook. That's so crazy to me. And and we really did, like I kind of knew who he was, but I was like, well, I just saw you like recently, and he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be doing that. You know, he was he was very like you know, remorseful about it. He's like, I'm looking to do something else. I think they may have another singer, you know. That is, 
that is crazy. To and he me. rehearsed. He rehearsed with us. Like I think Sal had probably sent him a tape or you know a CD of some like like learn these songs. Right. And he didn't. He didn't have the pipes for EF. You know. And we were auditioning a lot of people at that time, and and he was just you know he kind of can't. But he's the only one that I really remembered because I had met him, and and he was the Misfits guy, but then he wasn't. But then eventually he became that one. That is, I mean, that is really, that's a revelation. Like, I don't think that's known or mm. talked about. I mean, obviously it's known, it's known by you and people, but yeah. like that, that's, that is something that is never discussed or talked mm. about or, Interesting. yeah, that, that kind of, that kind of blows my mind here. That kind of blows my mind. So you did that. You were, um, you were involved in that. Hold on. I'm just looking through my, my little notes and then, Tell me, uh, you know, we, we talked about, or you mentioned that you uh, you were you were around for Sam Hain rehearsals in 2014. Yeah. Jump way ahead. <laughs> what was that about? What's that like? Well, that must have been fun. When they were coming, they were coming back for the um, 30th the final bow, the 30th anniversary of yeah. uh, Initium. Yep. So it was early in the summer, and London had text me to let me know that he says, you know, we're, I'm going to be out there rehearsing with Steve and Pete from Baroness for the, you know, for the upcoming show. Right. Right. And then, um, I, he didn't really mention anything much about it, but then he texts me on, a, on, I think it was on a Monday. It was like after work or something. He's like, Hey, you know, we're at backstage studio tonight from eight to 11, you know, why don't you come down? You know? I'm yeah. Like, oh, okay. So went down there, you know, picked up my friend Joe, went down there and, and, and I, I walked, I, we walked through the door just as they were starting Sam Hain. Oh, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we're coming, we're coming down the, down the hall and I, and I hear it and I'm like, I just walked in, grabbed the mic, started yeah. singing, started singing. <clears throat> did all of Initium, did pretty much everything. Initium, stuff from Unholy. Stuff really? From, yeah, yeah. We we rehearsed for we rehearsed for about three hours. I was I was the fill in. I was the fill in for Glenn. That's a I mean, you know? that's amazing. And then I missed the second night. I didn't come the second night. I totally blew my voice out. And then came back on the third night and rehearsed with them again. And then that was it for the rehearsals. The next time I saw them was um, the the final the final show of that tour, November, on November November first yeah in New York which I I was man I almost went to it and I had I had I had to make some choices and I chose not to go and I don't regret it because I got to see Sam Hain on the Dancing Legacy and those were great shows and me and Heim saw them me and Heim saw them in '99 at the Electric Factory oh yeah that's recorded. Yeah, that's, and we uh, act, we were recording. actually on stage for that. We were Oh really? We, yeah, we were on stage left, I guess, for that for that show. That's awesome. Yeah. Um that and you know, there's a there was a cover. They did a cover of Snakes of Christ with the girl from her name's Gina. She's in Baroness. And she's like a, a crazy guitar maverick. I don't know what you'd call it, a crazy guitar slinger. And she's just got crazy chops. I'm going, God, you know, like in a world where Tommy Victor no longer has the Danzig spot, like put her in. She's I didn't know Tommy. Awesome. Was I didn't know Tommy. No, no, was no, no. No, he is. He is. I'm saying in a world where, oh, where oh, Tommy oh, is not no longer the Danzig guitarist, 
mm-hmm. put this Gina girl from Baroness in the, that slot because she could play all those John Christ parts. No shit. Yeah, she's just she's smoking. She smokes the guitar, man. Like mm-hmm. I can just imagine her, you know, because I mean, some of those, and you know, the thing about John Christ on guitar that made him such an amazing player is that, you know, he's doing like he's finding all the these like pockets of time to do these like little leads and fills and things like mm-hmm. in you know in addition to doing all the rhythm stuff it's like it's almost like you know he's being the the lead guitar player and the rhythm guitar player at the mm-hmm. same time i know that's like what you do when you're playing guitar yeah. i i get that but just like the idea of it almost feels like he's kind of like two guitar players in one mm-hmm. in that band when you hear them live mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to replicate. I feel like she just has the juice to do that. You know, I, I had never heard of Baroness. Pete Adams was a, was a really cool guy. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I had never heard of Baroness before. And I was always curious. I don't remember how he got that gig. I, I, I Friends don't, with Glenn. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't remember. How, I don't think I asked him. Uh-huh. I think I may have asked London or Steve. And if they told me, I don't remember. That's awesome, though. So, I mean, yeah, but that, that was a... that was that was fun. That was fun, you know, doing that and hanging out with those guys and you know being 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 Glenn's fill in for a couple of rehearsals. Um, before listen, we got to land this airplane because honestly, if we don't, we could literally talk about this forever. I know that you probably have work in the morning, and <laughs> I told I you, to I, I told up. you, I could be a little long winded. No, but that's okay because we'll have you back in the future at some point when when it when when the opportunity presents itself, we'll have you and Hyman at the same time. Oh, that would be awesome. We'll do, we'll do a show. It's got to be the right show. We'll figure it out. Right. We'll have you back because you, you you rock, dude. Thank but you. tell me, Thanks I want to know. Of course, thank thank you for coming on. Tell I want to know a little bit more about the record label, guys. Check out Voice of Doom's um, Bandcamp down below. Give them a, a follow on Facebook. And check out um, the, the the YouTube channel. Subscribe. I, I think I put that in the comments as well. For I'm going to butcher the hell out of this. This is a really cool. Here's the thing. I, I love and I hate the name of your record label. I love it because I love the idea. I love what it stands for. Like it's a really cool thing. But I hate saying the word and I hate spelling the word. So that's what <laughs> I, I don't like spell about it. Right. I can't <laughs> yeah. even spell it. So you say the word and it's then Pyrrhic, tell me about it. Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic victory. And right. what is a Pyrrhic victory by Greek history standards? Explain. You know, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I I I hate to sound like I don't. I'm not 100% sure. I think it may be like one of those things like you're winning, you won a battle, but you didn't win the war. I don't rem- I don't know, honestly. And I'll tell you, everything to do with the record label is predominantly Joe's baby. Okay. It's Joe's okay. baby. Joe, I have to, you know, he worked okay. his ass off to- Thank you for clarifying. To start it, mm-hmm. to organize it, to run it, to promote it. Um, it's, a, it's a collective- it's not a record label. It's oh, interesting. A collective. Thank because, you for clarifying. Because everybody does, whether it's you know, content, you know, recording to to put out, uh, artwork. You know, Heim is the in-house art director for Pyrrhic Victory. Kevin is the in-house engineer with the studio. Mm-hmm. A lot of our bands are either us rotating bands with the same guys and and a couple of other people or friends of ours or old stuff that we did years ago that we're unearthing, you know? Interesting. But, you know, 
if you if you really would like to get in deep with the label, Joe Puggle is the guy to talk to because it's you know he's ninety percent of it. And, okay. And, you know I give Thank him you. all the, I give him all the credit in the world for for you know for for getting because musicians are inherently lazy, as you know a lot of people <laughs> know. But he you know he's busted his ass on that for the last ten or so years, and and you know he it's it's very good. He's you know he's he's he runs it, and that's his thing. Um, and the, I mean, that's, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was a collective. That is awesome. The, what the victory is, is basically when you win your battle, but you win it at a cost that ultimately means you lost. Meaning that if your army is all destroyed, but you won the battle, what good is the win if your army is gone and you can't fight any more battles? So that's like mm. what a, it's it's an empty like victory. an empty victory. Okay, it's like an empty victory, basically. And as you know, what's funny is Joe, Joe is the bass player in Voice of Doom, but he's not going to be at the show because he's going to be away that weekend. Ah. So our friend Ed, that plays in the sixty fives, and he's in Miss Ohio, you know, other period victories. He's gonna fans, fill. He's gonna he's, fill in. Yeah, he's he's playing with us. So if you wanted to talk to him about the label, he's not going to be at the show that night for you to do it. Well, I'll tell you, we are going to have so much fun on November. Oh, I can't 6th. wait! It's going to be. We're going to have fun. We're going to eat pizza probably. Uh, we're going to be uh, all just just having a, a great, great we're gonna time. Level the, we're going to level the place. You're going to level the place. We're this is the, the VFW. This is Glenn's mother. Used to be very active <laughs> at this VFW. Man, it's crazy. She was very involved in that VFW. Man, and now you guys are playing a show there. It's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, no, um, it's going to be awesome. I'm trying to think. Okay, here's how we're going to end this. We'll, we'll end it. We got it. We got to end. It's late yeah. anyway. Yeah. Late. Um, dude, it's so nice to like meet and speak with you. Thank you for doing this. Truly, Same. it's awesome. Same. Thank you. Um, a lot of revelations here. Definitely going to clip this video up. Like I was making, I was taking note, notating the time so I could remember where to find them because I was like, oh, that's a video. That's a video. Um, let's end with your top five misfits. Sam Hain, Danzig songs. I know that this can change all the time. So whatever it is, right in this moment in your heart. What you, do you mean? You, like like fifteen songs, five from each yeah, individual yep, band. Yeah, give me five songs. I know it's tough, but you gotta you gotta do it. Technically, you know, it's... you know, you know what's interesting, and we didn't even talk about the VOD cover of Wolf's Blood. But oh oh oh, let's do it. Let's do no, it no, no, real no, quick. No wait, but but wait, let, you you did that with you did that with Heim. And yeah, I kind of wanted did. to. I kind of wanted to stay there. Okay, but, fine, fine. But, but if it wasn't going to be Wolf's Blood, my second choice for that yeah. would have been would have been Hellhound, because ah. it's such a crazy song. I would have to say, I would have to say in my five. It's hard to pick five favorite Misfit songs. I would have to say definitely, um, Wolf's Blood is in there. Yeah, Wolf's Blood or Hellhound, depending on how I'm feeling. I don't know if I can have a if I can have a, a an A or a B in that. Definitely, uh, hybrid moments. Um, Spinal remains. Definitely in there. Um, great, so all great songs. Nothing you say is going to be wrong. Death comes ripping. Is, yeah. You know, is is so I'd have to say death comes ripping. Wolf's Blood or Hellhound, uh, Spinal Remains, Hybrid Moments. Um, 
and probably something the original cough cool mm. i i Fuck yeah I, dude great I song i don't think that that gets enough credit no it does not you know for for what it is i i i i I love Manny's drums on that. I love the jazzy style. You know, the original the, the, that song to me is is ha- just captures. When I worked my way backwards and found out that that was like their first recorded song, I'm like, it. I just I thought it was great. I thought it was that's oh, it's still in my top five for Misfits. For Sam Hain, I would definitely have to go with the song Sam Hain as being yeah. my favorite without a doubt. Um, Sam Hain. Um, I love In My Grip. Oh, great song. Um, Makes you just want to fuck shit up. Halloween, their version of Halloween 2 is, you know, especially live, definitely without a doubt. Um, uh, Archangel. Great. You know, I, I got to go with that. And if I have to go one more, I think I did four. I got to go one more. I'm yeah. probably going to go. Uh, Moribund, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, great song. Because when, when I when I heard Moribund live, I was like, I was blown away by it. Like, it definitely didn't sound like the record. So that instantly became one of my favorite Sam Hain songs. As far as Danzig goes, that's a that's a tough one. Definitely Blood and Tears, like we discussed earlier. Mm. Um, I would have to say Left Hand Black is is one of my favorite Dan just Great the, song. the sound of it is just the the way the way it's attacked. Love Left Hand Black. Um, so what I what did I say? Blood and Tears, Left Hand Black. Um, I got three more. Three more. Um, I love anything. I Ooh. love, I love, that's, that's Ooh. one thing. That's track thing. two, track two on, yeah. uh, yeah. how the gods kill. I love anything long way back from hell. Oh, um, godless. I love, I love godless. I love just, godless. Best you know. opener. Yeah. My, uh, my, oh, wait a minute. If I, Brand new God. I know that's more than five, but definitely. Brand that's new okay. God you can have. You've won bonus. That's <laughs> my low power. My low power mode just came on, so my phone's going to die soon. <laughs> that's okay, because we're we're done here. Hey Tanner, check here. this out. Look at this. Look at this little sucker. Um, I want to thank I want to thank John Adoom so much for coming on here. I mean, this was such a spectacular episode. Thank you for so having many. Me. Oh my God, so many interesting revelations. We'll be chopping this episode for up for clips. We'll definitely have him back. Check out uh, all the links down below. Check out the show November sixth. I'm the MC. I'm like the host. I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say some shit. I want to wear a cape. I need to wear a Excellent. cape. I'm gonna have some fangs. I think Excellent. I gotta do that. It's gonna happen. Yeah, well, Heim, Heim gave you fangs in the in the flyer, so you gotta you gotta. Right, I gotta do it. I love that flyer. <laughs> I, I want to get a. I want to get that framed. That flyer is so awesome. He just did that. Like he just he he took all the. I didn't give him any of those elements. He just did it, and he just did such a great job. I he really... sent me the first one without the fangs, and then like five minutes later, he sent me another one that says fangs. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, come phones. on, like it's just such a it's <laughs> such a, a an obvious thing. Listen, <laughs> his phone is going to die, and I want to uh, I want to talk to him off air. So we're going to wrap this up. We have a nice way of closing out. We say peace and hair grease. Ah, what is that? Oh my god, it's a pumpkin again. All right, and we're going to end it with let's end it with uh with with the Patreon. Check out the Patreon if you want to hear November coming fire early. Stick around, John, for one second right after this. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind the scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just wanna thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you!